theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like an old paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy a beer at McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? They get the metric system. Welcome to the Hookup on Film with Adam and Tony. going on buddy what is going on like the first time we basically started right on time that's why i made my shirt tonight i'm like i gotta get there i gotta make sure i'm on time <laughs> I, I assume you are because you're such a movie uh music guy are you familiar with the band Weedus? i was gonna bring it up tonight because i just saw your post um i wish way back when that song came out i never heard it and you could have heard it for me um, I saw that you just heard it for the first time. We had a running I mean, not joke. necessarily for the first time, but I basically heard it for the first time in 2022. Yeah, I haven't heard that song in such a long time. It's been you long. don't like it? I mean, it's, it's, I don't like his voice. It's basically like showing up a bunch in my, in like my YouTube feed. Mm-hmm. Like the algorithm's like, hey, I don't think you've heard of this song. You want to listen to it? And there's like a bunch of videos. Like I just watched uh, a Vice video oh? about like the making, really, like of the song. Is there? Do you like know the some... music video? Uh, it's is been a basically long time. It, it's been a long time. It's um. Do you remember the Amy Heckerling movie starring Jason Biggs called Loser? Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a that's a pretty good movie. Apparently, what? like the song was like on the soundtrack for it because the music video is basically featuring Mina Savari and Jason Biggs. Oh, okay. It's been a long time. I'll have to rewatch that. I do like Jason Biggs a lot of that. I like Loser. Um, is that the one with him and Freddie Prince Jr.? No, that's not the one with him and Freddie Prince Jr. That's uh, oh, I can't remember the name of that movie. <laughs> Honestly, any movie that's not like American Pie, it's like not a Jason Biggs movie worth knowing. I know that you're not wrong. Oh, I think it's uh, Boys and Girls, it's called. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, what a bunch of generic titles for Jason Biggs. They are. I mean, Loser, Boys and Girls. The only Jason Biggs movie I will give mad props to is Saving Silverman. It's pretty funny. I, I saw that movie in the theaters, and I'm like, the 13-year-old me loved it, and I can't imagine the 35-year-old me enjoying... I'm curious to see what you would think watching that now. Now that you've said that you liked it at 13 and it's been that long. Some of it is really cheesy. I mean, it isn't because of Jason Biggs. I mean, Jack Black and Steve Zahn are are pretty funny. And Arlie Ermey's ridiculous. Yeah, but like any movie that like makes being gay like a a punchline is just never going to age well. Well, no, you're right. I mean, I guess I didn't think of it that way when you pointed out in that kind of terms. I was just thinking about in comedy terms, and this is actually the first time I've ever heard anybody say this. So this could be a new one brought to the light right here. We're ending Saving Silverman. <laughs> but I mean, we also, because ne- next movie. week we have a topic on, on movies anyway, we got to do um, 
movies in which it's like lead single is like better than the movie itself. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I think Teenage Dirtbag would fall. Like I like that song. The song like sounds like a late '90s song. It's like how did I not hear this in the late '90s? This was literally the type of music I was listening to. Well, what else were you listening to at that time? Um, compare it to. Let's see. What else was like Smash Mouth and 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 Sugar Ray were probably around this time. Oh, so you were okay. Everclear. Yes, I mean I liked Everclear quite a lot. Um, Some of these bands, I mean, they weren't necessarily. It's a whole different topic for a whole different time. I mean, Smash Mouth. I don't. I don't know what to say about those guys. I mean, they had some good set songs, but. As you're talking about saving Silverman not aging very well, I don't think those Smash Mouth songs. Have no, like out. of course not. But I'm just saying, like at that time, that music oh, yeah, is that catchy time. AF. Huge. Oh yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, you were listening to different music. Like everyone was listening to different music. That was I'm sorry, I, I wasn't cool about. enough to listen to Talking Heads. Well, no, that's not what I was even listening to that back then. But let's say I'm listening to Metallica. I'm not listening or Red Hot Chili Peppers or Nirvana. I definitely am not listening to Smash Mouth. I'm listening to those three bands. Well, I always listen to Nirvana. But you, but you, I could see this is the proud difference between us. This music, when your age, when it was coming out, I get it totally. Because you should see me. I'm bringing up, I, I had Vanilla Ice. I had MC Hammer. I mean, I had the bands that were a little bit more for my age that were popular at that time. So See, I, this is I, why you I, need to invite me on your music show so we can talk well, about Well, you're this. already, you got to walk on any time. We'll get to that at a later point. But, okay, so here's the thing with the Chili Peppers at this time. They were in a, they were in a down period. Well, they were, but I'm talking about like, I, I'm not actually like this anymore. But back then, you could have considered me a musical snob. Where like now, I respect like my radio station plays walking on the sun by smash mouth all the time and i listen to it and i go you know what this isn't a bad song i own sugar ray floored but then they got a little bit too like they try to keep writing pop songs but i love uh 1459 well that was a great album but then after that they kind of like kind of like every band does this though but i respect now i try to respect everybody so all of these bands that you're mentioning have had really good periods of music. Uh, that Weedus, though, back to them, my problem was always like, what other songs do you know by them? Because I don't know any other songs. By yeah, them. but like this was the 90s, especially like pop rock 90s. It's just full of one hit wonders. You're, you're going to learn that I judge my movies like I judge my music. If you don't come up with more than one movie or a one more than one song, I don't know. You know, I don't I mean back then, yes. I know a lot of people who like that song. But this this was the era of now that's what I call music. And that's like how I got a lot of my music is like you have You're one right. good song and we're putting it on this compilation desk. And I was freaking into it. But in ninety nine I'm a junior or a senior in high school and I'm kind of playing in, 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 in what I would call high school bands. So we would do like Blink one eighty two and stuff like that. It was more this band when it was released. They played it on. Q- okay, Q- Blink. When did um, two thousand two thousand and one? Yeah, the big, the, the big hit stuff, right the, around the. I think their first, Enema of the State. Yes, Enema of the is State. Which is an incredible record. Right. I didn't think that come out till like ninety nine. Uh, ninety nine. Yes, Dude Ranch is where I kind of got started, which was the album right before that, and that was ninety seven. But see, so I. For us, 
the band, the guys I hung around with for that song, Teenage Dirtbag, the music was all good. His voice, Teenage Dirtbag, baby. That was why I didn't get it back then. Now I got to listen to it again because when I saw you posted it, all it did was bring me back to high school. And there's so much stuff now that I didn't like then that I like now. So I'm curious now that I'm we're having this conversation that I'm going to uh, re-listen to the song. I, like I said, back then I was a little bit more, I, I, I was different. Um, but uh, that being said, I'm always good with a good musical suggestion. But yeah, we're definitely going to talk and get you onto the uh, double groove and get you everything you want to talk about music. It'll be like all about whatever you want to talk about. It'll be good stuff. All right. Now completely changing gears. Let's start off with our movie battle. All right. Uh, except this one is not a movie battle. It's an actor battle. It's two actors that I think you would co they would they felt like they belonged together in movies, mainly because they started in Paul Thomas Anderson movies and then kind of veered off in different directions. And that's John C. Riley versus Philip Seymour Hoffman. Ooh, this was a this one I have spent let me just say all these topics tonight. I I don't I've got so much notes here. I've first of all, I carry a notebook around, and since our first day, which is all the way way back in here, I have every single page of notes. So this could be online one day. But that being said, today I, I have have the most notes I think I've ever had for a show. And uh, that being said, this was an excellent uh, to uh, both of these guys together. Excellent. Um, they. Uh, Ooh, it's a tough one for me. I mean, who's better? I don't know. I mean, honestly, Seymour, to, me, to me, this is like a tie. Yeah, I mean, like Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, is a better actor. I think John C. Riley is an overall See, more accomplished actor. I don't know. That's like my gut feeling, too. But also, like, part of it, I think, is that really after the PTA phase of his career, he started working with Will Ferrell and started doing a lot of comedies versus Philip Seymour Hoffman spent a lot of his career doing very serious and prestige stuff. Like he ended up winning an Oscar for Capote. Um, but at the same time, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman did a long came Polly, you know, well, yeah. I mean, and it, part of it is like that movie stunk, but like he's incredible in it. Uh, you know, he, he he was the bad guy in the third Mission Impossible movie. He doesn't true. have a big role, but again, he's incredible in it. So, like, it, it kind of feels like Paul Thomas, or excuse me, Philip Seymour Hoffman is like the quote unquote better actor. But I don't know, John C. Riley, like, whenever he shows up and stuff, I think, you know, that King Kong movie. Oh, yeah. That movie no, stunk. He shows up halfway through it and like invigorates life into it. It's like, oh, you know, well, there's like I would go as far as to say stunk. I mean, you're right. It's not great. It's a good popcorn movie, but I think you're right with him. I'm not even below like, average. Okay. For what it is, I mean, let's put it how could that movie be any better? It really can't. I mean, it's CGI. He's out the woods, so, but like, what makes it better is he that, makes I can't remember who directed it, but he was like, he tried to do like Apocalypse Now for like a Godzilla movie, which is yeah. actually, or a King Kong movie, the which is kind did. of an interesting topic. And it's just, there's so many hands cooks in the kitchen that like you can never do that. If he had gotten to make like a legit Apocalypse Now, but with King Kong, 
I think that actually could be interesting. But like, regardless, that movie is just like fine to below average, and a lot of people have basically forgotten about it. But like, John C. Riley shows up, and it's like, yeah. oh my god, you're so incredible in like a film actually that has a bunch of incredible actors and great character actors. And to me, John C. Riley steals the show. He's like the best actor in it. So it's like he can do this. He just he's I think just a bit more mainstream, which is why I think we consider Philip Seymour Hoffman the more serious actor. Well, even I mean, John John C. Riley's got a lot of early movies that he's actually really, really, really like he, he's in casualties of war with Brian De Palma. He's in Days of Thunder with Tony Scott. State of Grace is a really good movie. Hoffa, The River Wild, but it's eating Gilbert Grape. Dolores Claiborne. Um, he's pretty in all of Paul Thomas Anderson's, as you stated. But then, by, he, by the way, he's he has the more main role in all three of PTA movies that they're both in. Oh yeah, he sure does. Like Scotty J is probably the best character. But oh, yeah, Magnolia though. Uh, John C. Riley's character in Magnolia is huge. Yeah, versus Paul, you know, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman just kind of in the on the margins with the Tom Cruise storyline. You know, and then we come to the 2000s, okay? He's in Gangs of New York. He's in The Aviator. You know, I mean, those movies are pretty pretty huge. You know, he, he gets a nomination, an Oscar nomination for Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. I mean, you know, I think it's when we come into now, we're stepping, as you said now, Step Brothers is 2008. Um now, as the 2000s come along, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, Cyrus. He wasn't really, like, trying to be super funny in that movie. I mean, it's like a mumblecore movie, it so is. it's like ever, it's good for, like, what it is. Do you ever see this Roman Polanski movie from 2012 called Carnage? It's him, Kate Winslet, Christopher Waltz, and uh, Jodie Foster. You ever see that movie? Nope. Uh, really good acted-out movie, and, of course... Roman Polanski's on the run. I don't know how he's able to film these movies still, but yeah, dude, Roman Polanski like was able to film the pianist, and then the Academy Award is like, "This movie's great. He's a genius. Come <laughs> back to America and accept your awards." And then they put him in the handcuff. Yeah, no, that's funny. The Lobster, though, you're 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 your guy. I mean, he that's a good role for him. John C. Riley, the Lobster. But like, I feel like if you asked everyday moviegoer they would recognize him from like either a Will Ferrell movie or a Walk Hard or something well you're right it, that's the problem is that like I, he is willing to obviously be a character actor I mean they both were I mean Philip Seymour Hoffman I think I, I don't know really what a lot what played it I know it plays a little bit more into John C. Riley's psych I don't really know now when you look back at Phil Seymour Hoffman and everything of who he was a lot of these roles were really, um, they were, they were kind of per, like more per, like personal. I mean, he's ridiculous in The Big Lebowski. I mean, he's not necessarily serious in that. He's not serious in Boogie Nights, as you stated, as Scotty. I mean, he's definitely not serious in the Along Came Polly. Um, See, that's like when I think you and I will agree, like if you want to be considered a great actor, it's like nice to show different shades and different varieties. Yeah. And like both John C. Riley and Philip Seymour Hoffman did that. I mean, he plays Moneyball, Art Howe. I mean, yeah, like well. he was he was willing to like do a favor for uh, Ben and Miller and just like, OK, you know, you got me an Oscar. I'll show up in your Brad Pitt Jonah Hill movie. 
I, I think he's. I know the movie. You're not supposed to, but the way he acts in Doubt, he does a great job in that movie. Well, no, he's he's incredible in Doubt, but I actually think almost he's better in Moneyball in the sense is that Doubt is is a very showy role, right? Oh yeah, it is. Like obviously, like Philip Seymour Hoffman is great, but Art Howe is a nothing performance that he turns into at least entertaining and watchable versus I think a lot of actors could have done doubt, right? Well, they like, could have, and that's what you're definitely right. Um, a movie that I think, I don't know if you will agree that is better than his role in the master. Um, I, I mean, think, he's incredible in the master, right? I like, think, would you say that would be his pinnacle acting performance? Uh, it's probably Capote because he won the Oscar for, well, but that's true. That's true. I forgot about Capote. I mean, I, I think he's personally he's, like your personal view of what it is. Is it Capote? Is your personal view Capote? No, because I, I like the I think the master is more nuanced. Yeah, I think you know Capote is like just pure Oscar bait. Like literally, there's a website called Crack.com. There in this article, it's now like 10, 15 years old. But like it still holds true today. I'll have to find it and, and you know post about it sometime. Or, but it's like six acting tricks that actors use every single time to win an Academy Award. Mm-hmm. And I think like number one on that list is like play a dead person that literally all the film critics respect. So like he gets to do the voice. He get, I mean he looks and acts like Truman Capote, but you know what I mean. It's I don't remember a thing about that movie except him and Catherine Keener. I've tried to watch it a couple times too. It, it's he does it's great so in tough. it, but it, it's he's great. But the movie is just it's it's so ugh. Uh, right. Like it's it's not even close to being rewatchable. There was another one that came out at around the same time that I believe Toby Jones plays um, Capote. It was a little bit better, but uh, you know that's but that's that's what Philip Seymour Hoffman is a lot. Is he's an act like just straight up acting like that's that's what that movie is is like you said he's playing i don't know but how many people do you think could play that role truman capote yeah that I think role. a lot you think a lot could yes well, I mean, he, um that's like toby jones is a great example where another really good character actor who's kind of a short schlubby guy yeah that's true and you're not wrong you know i totally forgot John, like John belushi even played him on a saturday night live stage so i mean it's it doesn't. T- all you gotta be is short and do the voice, and I think you could pretty much pull pull it off. It's not you tough. You know, I totally forgot he's in the last two Hunger Games movies. Yeah, that one. That's. Oh, he's in the last three. He's in. You know, I mean, that's. He didn't. I mean, God's Pocket, a Most Wanted Man. Those movies aren't really great. Um, I, I mean, I think you know he he, at least towards the end, he was like willing to play the game more. Versus, I think John C. Riley started to do it earlier, yeah. and has the benefit of—I don't like mean this to be like mean, but has the benefit of you know being able to star in movies longer, and has done such a variety that I think there is this notion that, like you mentioned earlier, of like, and my gut also says this too. So it's like I don't mean to like call shots at you, but like it feels like Philip Seymour Hoffman is the better actor because. He ended up starring. Like, he didn't really do a whole lot of mainstream is, movies, is, and especially did like less mainstream movies than John C. Riley has done. Well, I but, mean, because he's he's an actor. Like, 
like when you think of great actors, like John C. Riley's a really great. It's hard to even say because they're both great actors, but like Philip Seymour Hoffman could have been, if he was still alive and making movies, he could have been up there with the best. And John C. Riley, he's always going to be really good, but I don't know if there's anything he's going to be able to do to put him into the best category, or, and he ever will be. But Philip, I mean, when you look at some of his who he was working with, some of his stuff. I mean, he's even in Twister. When you go back that far, I mean, he was in a Law and Order episode, Law and Order episode from '91. But I think Philip Seymour Hoffman is the the better pick. But that's not to take anything away from John C. Riley, because as you stated, he's great. I think just think as you stated, now he's more known for Step Brothers, Dewey Cox, a lot of those movies I mentioned earlier. I mean, not a lot of people have seen a lot of those movies. So I, I think. John C. Riley is just as good of an actor as Philip Seymour Hoffman. I just don't know that he has, like, the right role has come across, that as both he's been great in it and it's broken through. Would you think now people just see him, like you said, so it's going to be tougher? I do give him credit for that newest role he did. I think he's back on the right track with the L.A. Lakers thing. I think he was definitely great in that. Yeah, I think it's awesome in that, but it, he didn't even get nominated for anything, which was kind of weird. Because I don't, I don't think that shows is good, but I think the acting's great and he's great in it. That's true. That's true. But I mean, you know, he is doing a little bit more TV. Um, you know, like his last movies are like Holmes and Watson, Ralph breaks the internet, <laughs> and then you know we're getting to like 2018. It's like Stan and Ollie. I think he's really excellent in Stan and Ollie, but it's like yeah. a small movie that just didn't break through. Um, yeah, I mean, but there's a movie that really, if you're talking about it, why if, what's his name is getting nominations, if uh, Phillips getting the nominations for Capote, shouldn't, I mean, uh, that wasn't an easy performance to play, Ollie. I know, it's, a lot of it also has to do with, like, the studio behind it, and, That's like, how much money they're going to campaign. The Sisters Brothers was really good with him, and... Jack Queen and Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed. It was it was actually a really good movie by Jacques Audiard. So like Capote, even though it's a smaller film, it's still like the um, the, ind- the quote unquote independent branch of Sony. Mm-hmm. Versus, I bet you, you know, we'll do this try to real quick. I bet you, Stan and Ollie was like legit an independent movie. Well, that. I remember specifically when Capote came out the same year, if I'm not mistaken, as Brokeback Mountain and all of those because it was my last year at college and I knew someone at the movie theater and we got in free to these movies because I remember sitting there going, I'm glad I didn't have to pay for this. But, uh, you know, yeah, I think, I, think, I think they're both like really good. It's a tough one, as you said. It's almost a tie. You could call it a tie. Let's call it a tie. I agree. Let's call it a tie. It's our first tie tonight. <laughs> All right. I, I can't like readily find which actual studio released Stan and Ollie, but I, I I would bet you dollars to donuts that it's like a legit smaller independent, not like a big studio's independent branch. Oh, so but so you think that plays a lot into it is they, yeah, because they don't always have the money to run 
for your consideration campaigns? Sony Pictures Classics did it in the United States. That's who released it. Did it stand in Ali? Yes. Oh, so did the same people that did Capote. But you know what? I'll be honest with you. From what I'm gathering, it's a different time period even for that that sanction of the studio that I'm guaranteeing that there's not a whole lot of money flowing through there to, to promote. Um, I mean, it's got good ratings. It's not like it did not. Steve Coogan, he's amazing. I like him a lot. But what are we on to now? All right, well, from old movies to new movies, even though Tony and I don't see movies in the theaters, we do see movies that drop on streamers. And a movie that was in no theaters but on a streamer was Andrew Dominic's Blonde. Uh, it's a 2022 release starring Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe, the titular blonde. And also features performances from Bobby Cannavale, um, Adrian Brody, and Julian Nicholson. I assume you saw Blonde? Oh, yeah, I saw Blonde. Yes, I sure did. <laughs> uh, I... What, did what did you think? Oh, <clears throat> what did I think? Well, do you want me to start? You could start. Yeah, you could start. Go ahead, please. please. Right. So I think you and I feel like, based on your initial reaction, that uh, you did not like this movie? Ah, uh, no, not necessarily. Yeah, I think this movie is actively bad. Yeah, it's bad. Um, Real bad. I think, like, it's hard to make, like, a truly bad movie, like, because I think it is, like, quote-unquote, well-made. And I think it's probably the movie Andrew Dominic wanted to make. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's quite bad. Uh, and, bad. like... I, I was listening to some other podcasts and reviews about it because someone may like this, and I I want to like try to best articulate besides just saying it's bad, like my feelings towards it. And I think a word that kept popping up was uh, torture porn. Yeah, it's, it's there. It's there. There's, this there's says like, right here: exploitive, sexist, dehuman, dehumanizing. That was some descriptives that I've seen. Like Marilyn Monroe in this movie exists solely as. A sex object or to be abused. And now, what, now, what I've also read though is he was doing that to make it seem how she was feeling based upon those around her. Now, I don't know if he really portrayed that correctly, but uh... and yeah, I heard and like I'm going to steal like another podcast. Like, uh, there's a great podcast called The Big Picture where they were talking about it. It's like it's a two and a half, three hour movie. That's portraying her life, and she definitely did not feel that way her entire life. Like this movie shows that Marilyn Monroe had absolutely no agency, <laughs> which is hundred percent false. She definitely went through some like messed up stuff in her life. She was no doubt sexually abused, and like she did spend like her mom was legit had mental problems, and who's so, like, definitely it messed her up. Great job in the movie. All the side players, all the actors, everyone did a great movie. I, I like this movie is like a tier less for me than Elvis, but it gives me those same vibes where it wasn't shot the way that I think the movie could have been shot. Like right before coming on the show here, two movies that were playing music movies on my favorite on my favorite station Showtime, La Bamba and Purple Rain. Now both of these movies are shot straightforward as movies. I don't think this movie was shot like, and I don't know if that's really what the purpose was. I, I know he's an art, 
we'll talk about the rest of his movies in a second, but he doesn't shoot things straight up. So it gives a kind of like a dreamlike feeling, even the ending. It's almost like it just kind of like fades away, just kind of like she does. So I don't know if he was trying to portray the camera through her. It, it was weird. Um, a lot of a lot of unnecessary scenes, I felt. There's a lot of her life that they didn't even talk about, which I felt was more... They, was more yeah, like this movie is two scene. hours and 46 minutes, and they... They talk never about went on set to like the misfits. They never go on set to some of her movies. Like, but that's the problem with the movie. <clears throat> the problem is, is that they don't really do in depth. It's more of like on the surface. So they do show her like filming some of like to show her well, in do. um some like it hot and gentlemen prefer blondes and um I'm talking about like towards the end the stuff that makes her go off the rails. The stuff that really made her go off the rails, that made her not around anymore, because she, like you said, you said it perfectly. She wasn't always off the rails. Um, so I didn't think it did a good job from going from her being okay to her taking drugs. The whole movie seemed like she was on drugs when she, that wasn't the truth. Um, when she made this whole her, movie feels like it exists to punish Marilyn Monroe. Well, it does. Um, even this like, movie like, is so brutalistic in a way that it's, if you were, t- trying to convey like that's how she felt the way you executed it andrew dominic is so poorly because a two hour and 46 minute movie should not the entire thing should not be brutalistic if you wanted to make moments of that and to be honest i kind of liked how this movie started out like with her as a little kid well yeah I, i think juliet nicholson who played the mom i think she's always great and I oh. love the symbolism of like they're going deeper into the fire, like oh, yeah. Marilyn Monroe was going deeper into hell. Oh yeah! Like I was like, this movie is kind of artsy fartsy, but I dig it. Yeah, I and then agree. It's you know, this is also part of Andrew Dominic's style too. Is like, I think this movie is is too is pretentious mm-hmm. because yeah. so. Because I, I was thinking about this like. There are movies that are like Spielberg, straight down the middle, where sometimes that work, and a lot of times for me, it actually it doesn't work. It's too mainstream. Like a straight up Marilyn Monroe biopic probably would not work for me, no matter who made it. Well, probably. And then there are movies that are slightly to the left. And to me, like I think of a movie like recently, The Northman, where that movie does kind of have a you know a Viking arc, a traditional arc, but it's got that Robert Eggers weirdness to it. That I enjoy, or like we recently talked about, um, uh, help me out. Who did Requiem for a Dream and Pie and uh, Darren Darren Aronofsky? Yeah, like Aronofsky films are like that for me too, where they're a little bit left to center. Where you know, even a film like Black Swan, which we call it his best film, is does have kind of this straightforward arc, but it's got that Aronofsky weirdness to it, right? Yeah, where yeah. it's I really like that, and then there's movies like blonde where there's absolutely no arcs it's just here's like look at this aspect ratio i'm changing in look at i'm going from color to black and white and like little vignettes more than arcs and it's just holy shit like you can make a real movie feel free to make a real movie are you familiar with any of his other have you seen any of his other three movies so i in the theater i saw assassination of jesse james but i will say like is that I don't know movie? if I fully because I had never seen that movie. 
I like. I, I remember see- feeling that way of like, holy shit, this movie's too artsy fartsy. It's so slow. Uh-huh. It drags, and I I wonder if like part of me didn't get it because I've heard a lot of really smart people dig that movie. Mm-hmm. But I remember at the time feeling that way because I saw it like when I was in college. Like th- this movie's way too slow and so poorly paced. And let's let's speed it up. And I felt a lot of that in Blonde. And I haven't seen Killing Them Softly. Uh, Chopper, his first movie, is, is, it's, it's really good. Um, Killing Them Softly, uh, that's... I've almost felt like I've been talked into liking that movie a lot more than I should. I, I do like the scenes of the movie. I do not like the movie as a whole because I feel like it's like Blonde. It's a mess. I don't feel like the story is as a cohesive cohesive story and that's probably why i think you haven't seen it i could be wrong but uh blonde definitely i think this director i mean you gotta think he's made he's made chopper in 2000 ford in 2007 killing him softly in 12 and this in 2022 he doesn't work very much who is he stanley kubrick i mean why so little work but that's kind of how his work seems to be is polarizing I do see he did do some Manhunter. He was the season two was good that he directed, but that being said, I, I don't think this movie's going to be garnishing any awards. Um, she, who you know, I just think all the actors did a good job. Um, there might have been a little bit too much nudity, which is weird for me to say because. Do you, it, so, do you think this movie should have been NC seventeen? No. I mean, yeah. There's this. There's that scene. I mean, and there, there are misgets topless a lot, but like, I'm rewatching it a second time tonight at the dinner table, and there's that scene at the end when she's uh, performing on her, her or whatever, and I'm like, that was very interesting to put in the movie. Um, oh, with, with JFK. Yes. Um, Where she performs Felicio. Yes, but the way the camera was and all that, I, I think that was a little too much. And yeah, I think it, it's again, it's brutalistic. Like that was where I, it, it kind of was like that was the final thing where I was like, ooh, you know, that, I don't know if that was. I mean, I'm kind of and and, and 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 this is no knock to anything, but I'm shocked that 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 was even able to be allowed on film. But you know, and. And what's weird is that Tarantino could have put that in a movie. It could have been an original script. And I've been like, that kind of looks cool. So it's not that it's in a movie. It's that it's in this movie about Marilyn Monroe. It's kind of just, it was shocking that that was, that was in this movie. But Yeah, there's there's a ton, a ton of nudity. And in the Armas gets topless a lot. Well, yeah. Um, which, which... But even still, it's like, and I feel like NC-17 was is like meant for pornos. Well, like legit well, pornographic is. films and like there is there's a, I got, there is a lot of nudity definitely more nudity than it needed to be but the nc-17 rating was kind of silly you know i mean I, i'm gonna take a look here i mean trying to think of other nc-17 movies that have been released midnight cowboy is technically nc-17 yes i mean that was that's about that's the only thing off the head that, that i remember i mean showgirls that came out in like the 90s with the girl from um, Saved by the Bell. Elizabeth but, Berkley. Yes. But that being said, that movie, no, I mean, but that being said, they, they didn't have to have so much of it in this movie. I mean, I don't know what the purpose of it is. Again, if it has a purpose, I'm okay with it. 
but there's just like some of it there wasn't a purpose yeah if there were like scenes like they very 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 briefly referenced the playboy thing because Marilyn monroe was the first cover uh of playboy yes was um, that was that when um bobby cannavale was it got upset is yeah, he, like, he was looking at those pictures. That's what it was <laughs> referencing. So if, I, if there's like nudity related to that, then like that, I would get it. But you're right. Like, there's, there's, you see so much Armas boobs. I'm a little bit confused. Um, in when you look up the uh, movie and like the the characters that they're playing, um, Adrian Brody plays the playwright. Bobby Arthur Miller plays the ex. Yes, I know who they really are, but. When oh, it doesn't look, say it in the credits? No, it doesn't say it. It says the playwright, the ex-athlete. You know, I don't know if they weren't able to get the names, probably. I mean, in Norma Jean, I mean, I don't know. Because they never use, do they ever use the words Marilyn Monroe in this movie? Yeah. Okay. Because, like, Norma Jean is generally. By the way, they 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 call him Lou Gehrig and Arthur Miller in the movie. I know. So I don't know why it says that that they're listed here in the credits as that but that being said i think this movie is like a series of vignettes of like Marilyn monroe hooking up with people and getting the shit beat out of her and it's it's weird and would not recommend it and i don't like if netflix is gonna pay 25 million dollars to all tourist directors yeah like maybe read the script first or something because like this is not a good use of their money I mean, first, Naomi Watts was signed up for the role. She dropped out. And then, this is interesting, Jessica Chastain signed on for the role. And then she dropped out, and that's when Anna Diarmas came in replacing Chastain. Um, to be honest, I think Anna Diarmas works better because, no offense to those other women, she's prettier. And she's younger, which helps. But also, like, if this movie was like super accurate to Marilyn Monroe... It's like I thought the the trailer like made it seem like she did a good job, and like Anna Armas has such a thick accent that it it came through way too much for me. But I, I, it's like I, the least of my concerns of this. Since it's October and since it's Halloween season, I liken you to well, pretty much. I would liken you by yourself to watch this. Um, knock knock. Have you ever heard of this movie? Um, with Keanu's in it and Anna Diarmas, but uh, Eli Roth actually directed it. It's not straight horror like his other movies. Um, he, but she's in it, and she's. I could deal with you know I like Anna Diarmas. I'm just saying I think that he didn't. He used her almost like almost too much. Like I, I think he overdid. He overplayed his hand in a lot of these scenes, and she's she was good. I just think. A little bit too much in some things. Um, I don't know. I Definitely, think if this movie were better and or more well received, I do think Anna Darmus would be up for Best Actress at the Academy Awards. But I think not only are we super early in the race, but like this movie is, is basically going to come and gone. It's got like a thirty percent or something on well the movie Rotten Tomato. The movie also didn't like it's running pretty much like the Inquirer. It's like sixty percent truthful. Yeah, it's like it's based off of a fictional book, right? It's not like actually based like, and it has an elements of Marilyn Monroe's life, but it's not like an actual biopic of Marilyn Monroe's life. It's no, like the whole she has like a throuple in the beginning with 
Edward G. Robertson's kid and Charlie Chaplin's kid. Yeah. And there's like no historical record of that even like being inferred. At least there's like a an inference with JFK. And then obviously did actually marry Arthur Miller and, no, and Lou Gehrig. Luke, Luke, I keep saying Lou Gehrig. Was that the actual baseball player? Wasn't it Joe DiMaggio? Yes. I, yeah, right. It was not Lou Gehrig. The other wrong Yankee. <laughs> it was, it, it, but honestly, earlier when I was thinking about him, I always called him Lou Gehrig first. And then I'm like, nope, no, wait a minute. It was Joe DiMaggio. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I would, I would, it's not necessarily needed to see, but if you're interested to see something really, really different and out there, maybe this is for you. I honestly don't know who this movie is for. I, I really like you and I can handle. Yeah, yeah you're right. Like yeah. more out there movies, right? Like, yeah. No, I mean it's more of like if so. Everybody wants to see something at least once, so they can critique it themselves. That would be the only reason you would want to see this movie to see if you find the same critiques as everybody else does. Um, and my guess is you would. So if you want to not waste your time, you don't need to see it, but. You know, I just feel like unless like you truly love Andrew Dominic, I, I don't know like why you need to see this or who this movie is for. Well, no, I mean if you like Andrew Brody, Bobby Cannavale, Anna Diarmas, you know Julia. But Nip- even if you like those actresses and actors, I like would still not recommend you see this well, movie. Like, that's what I said. I think I think this movie, movie is outright bad. I think it's a I, bad I movie. I find another movie of theirs for you to see if you were interested to see the movie because of them. Is what I was gonna say. Don't see this movie because of them. There's other movies of theirs you probably haven't seen. Watch those instead. Watch The Pianist again. Um, even though, shoot, I, watch Winning Time for Adrian Brody. Like, yeah, and John C. Riley. There you go. You can hit them both right there. <laughs> anyway, it... yeah, but that's that. The movie's not good, and it's going to be forgotten pretty quickly. Hence, here we are again with another Netflix movie. As we state, as always, not always, but a lot that it won't be remembered. The, the... The thing with Netflix movies is that, like, even if their general run-of-the-mill movies aren't that good, they had, in the past, pretty good taste with what movies they were going to pick for, or, like, which directors they were going to work with because they knew ahead of time, here's going to be our Oscar movie. Yeah, that's true. And, like, I think I said on a previous podcast that The Fablemans is going to be Netflix, and it's not. So, like... If this movie, which is it's gotten such poor reviews, it's not gonna like Netflix may try to hype it. This isn't gonna get a Best Picture nomination. Like they really don't have that. Um, What's that bad cowboy movie that we didn't like last year? The the which one? The bad cowboy Netflix movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh yes, yes, yes. The uh, the the dog. The uh, power of the dog. Yes, there we go. So like. And two years ago, they had Mank with David Fincher. Like, they're not even going to have any of that this Oscar well, season. Well, are you telling me which later, after our show, if you want to keep listening, you could listen into my review of The Very Awful. I knew you weren't going to watch it, so I didn't tell you. Rob Zombie's The Monsters on Netflix. Boy, was that bad. But he's another, I mean, that's another movie that Rob Zombie, who used to release movies in theaters, he got Netflix. He's got a deal. The movie stunk. Um, I'm trying to look here at a list of what they got coming out that is any of any use in the, in the, in the for the rest of this year. But off the top of my head, I'm not thinking. Look, like the, the um, prognosticators are like, are they just going to do Glass Onion, The Knives Out, um, 
Well, let me ask you a question. Would you rather have Blonde and wait for another new movie? Or let's even take Peacock, who we were going to talk about, which maybe we will do it this next weekend. We kept putting it off. Idris Elba, they're putting that new movie on, on Peacock. Then the next weekend, they're putting the new Halloween movie on Peacock. Do you think people would rather have those two type of movies or would rather have a blonde type of movie on Netflix? Oh, I mean... I mean, to be able to get your streaming service to have the new Halloween movie is pretty huge when Netflix is releasing Blonde, which, as we've already stated, is going to be forgotten by probably next week. So so Peacock is run by NBC Universal, which Universal still makes movies and puts them in the theaters. Which is awesome. So they're, yeah. yeah, and they're at least like trying to make, you know, more mainstream movies like Beast. I think um, I think Netflix where they got wrong is that they should have been trying to do that too. But what the, they still got Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. They I think got, they also have Alejandro um, Inarritu's new movie Bardo. Y- yes, and they got Glass Onion, the new um, nice album. But but Bardo premiered at all the film festivals and. I mean, from what I've heard, it has negative reviews. I don't know if it's got a Rotten Tomato score yet. Um, yeah, but I mean, I guess we will we'll have to see, you know. But uh, what are we on to now? Hold on, I want to see if Bardo has. Yeah, so Bardo, the another, you know, hey, we're gonna work with an Oscar winner in Yuritu. It's got a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes right now based upon critics who saw it at film festivals. So, like, I appreciate Netflix giving money to a tourist, you know, especially in an age where, like, they're not getting money from anyone else. Mm-hmm. Just read the script. You know, David Fincher famously, like, wanted to make Make for a long time, and I think once he made it, it's like, you know, maybe there's a good reason that was on the shelf and nobody wanted to make this movie. Because it's not a very good script, and it was not a very good movie. Let me put it to you this way. I think a lot of these studios got themselves in trouble by just throwing around money, and every movie was getting made. That's what Netflix is doing. They're trying to be like, we'll make anything. Come here. But the reality is is the product is, what, 50-50 maybe? You know, and I guess it all depends. I, I want a tourist and really you know filmmakers with a great track record to get money to make their movies and but i also want those movies to be good right like i just don't want necessarily a blank check and netflix famously like just says like here's your money we're gonna back off and doesn't give any notes and as frustrating as notes are to hear sometimes they're probably for the good yeah yeah, yeah, they generally are, yeah. I also think Netflix does like a, so like 20th, um, Fox Searchlight. If you, I don't know their track record offhand, but they have an excellent track record of like being able to pick great scripts and, and, and great movies at film festivals. And Netflix tastes are either purposefully poor because they don't care and they're just looking at an algorithm or get better creatives to actually watch these movies and look at these scripts because their track record over the past couple years is is bad and you're now getting to a point where their branding is tarnished where it's like oh it's a netflix movie i just assume this movie is going to be bad no matter who the director attached is 
That's true. So it, it's like not even just like hashtag content for them anymore. They're just putting themselves in a bad position. Just, you know, Scorsese, like the with uh, The Irishman, I know you weren't the biggest fan, but like that's just a movie that like people liked. It just needed money and studios were just so skittish to give out money. And Netflix was like, okay, we have money. You want to work with us, Marty? And like, that's an instance where essentially everything was already on track. Scorsese just needed a cash infusion. Like, why aren't they doing stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I'm looking at this movie coming out later in the month. It's called The Good Nurse with Eddie Redmayne and Jessica Chastain, um, directed by Tobias Lindholm. Let's see how he directed here. I didn't even heard of some of these movies. Never mind, forget it. I don't think this one. I was thinking wait, maybe this one will be good. Um, yeah, I mean, basically everything that you just said is is, is right on target. I mean, right. it, it's tough. Um, back to Scorsese, I think those movies, even at the theater, how much money do you think the Irishman would have did? It wouldn't have did amazing money. I don't know. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did pretty good money. That's that's that's. That's, that's it's Tarantino. I mean, it's a little bit. I don't know. When's what's Marty's last movie at the theater? Let, let's. I'm gonna look that up here now that you brought it up. Who's uh, I mean, Was it Silence? Yeah, it could could be here. Um, I'm just trying to think of like. Currently, I think you know Martin's in this place. It was Silence. You're right. It was, and Silence had a 50 million dollar budget. It took in 23 million. Okay, so, but it's. It's a three-hour movie about Catholicism, like. But now Wolf of Wall Street, the movie before that, he took in a hundred million budget. It took in almost four hundred million. So, I think he was just—you were right. What you said, he wanted more of some assurities, and I think Netflix gave him those assurities. So, what do we have to now? Uh, we are moving on to some other movies that are have been released recently, like Blonde. Uh, two movies that one has been released in theaters, one uh, VOD, and that's Bros and Confess Fletch. But um, I wanted to talk about their director. So Bros is directed by Nicholas Stoller, and Confess Fletch is directed by Greg Matola, and. Both are comedies that are being released nowadays. And I also think they pair very well together because they both helped um, got their big break thanks to Judd Apatow. And, but I, I don't think they get their fair credit for directing movies. And I especially don't think they get their fair shake because I think a lot of their bigger movies, super bad for Matola. And forgetting Sarah Marshall by Nicholas Stoller. I think a lot of people think that they're directed by Apatow. I think, you know, I probably have said in this podcast they belong in the Apatow purview. And it's like not really fair. So like let's give these these directors their due. Because yeah. they both have had pretty good film yeah, careers. A lot of good movies. They got a, quite a few good movies, each of these, both of these directors. Um for for once, I always remember Greg Matotola because I always think of the phone. Motorola when I first saw his name a long time ago, so I'll never forget him. Um, but I really enjoyed Paul from 2011. Um, it's 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 just a fun little movie. Um, 
with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, Jason Bateman, Kristen Wiig. Um, you ever see Paul? Yeah, Seth Rogen is the alien. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, like, when you talk about a movie that's just ridiculous and fun, I mean, that's what super bad is. I mean, to me, out of all the movies that both of these guys made, I think super bad is, you would say, would you say is the best? Yeah, and I think Forgetting Sarah Marshall is probably oh, forgetting number Sarah Marshall, two. Really good, really good, too. Um, seeing that one in the movie theater, I never laughed so hard. I laughed so hard in that movie. That was that was really good. Seeing Jason Siegel's penis at the very beginning of this movie <laughs> of uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I like his Dracula song. Mm, too. I can't do it right now, but it's too funny. Um, but back to this guy, even. Um, Nicholas Stoller, just this, you brought up this topic to me and I put on the movie DC League of Super Pets and he was an executive producer on that movie. Um, you know, I mean, he's pops up. I didn't know he directed Storks. I, I love Storks. Yeah. Like that's a movie that I randomly put on for my kid. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you know, here's a cartoon. And it's like one of those movies that like sucked me in. And like I started watching it and really enjoying it myself. Um, Neighbors, Kane Peel show up as the wolves like halfway through. It's Andy Samberg as a star. It's like this movie is actually like super good. Neighbors. Like, why don't we talk about this movie? Yeah, I mean that movie needs to be talked about more. Neighbors, the first Neighbors, was was good. Um, as a you know as a comedy. I mean Nicholas Stoller to the new movie that just came out, Bros. Um, you know, I mean, it's again, another unique, uh, concept that hasn't been really like this in the movie theater, would you say? Yeah. It's like the first, like it's, they at least are positioning it. It's like the first mainstream LGBTQ rom-com. And it's actually like disappointing in the state that I looked at the box office mojo Uh and it, it didn't even make $5 million in the theater. Well, he made the joke uh, just today, or was it yesterday? He's like, yep, straight people aren't going to the movies anymore. You know, but the reality is is that for a movie like this, it I, I never would have watched um, Fire Island if it wasn't for you. And if you asked me what it was, one of the movies this summer that actually I was like, wow, this wasn't a bad movie. There was a lot of bad ones. That one was it. And I would figure this would fall into the category. I mean, I'm looking here. It's got a lot of uh, people showing up in this movie. Um, i check it out if whenever it does come out. Honestly, if we were able to more freely, if I had more time in the life, I would see a lot of movies at the theater and I wouldn't mind seeing this one. But, I mean, I'm hearing it does not get any bad reviews. Um, it's got a, over 90% of Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that judges anything, but... So I'm definitely like a hypocrite hypocrite because like I'm not going to the theaters either. But like if people aren't going to go see these comedies in the theater, they're going to just die. At least, you know, fingers crossed it's only temporary. But like, you know, Booksmart, when that came out a couple years ago, and that's another really funny movie that like nobody saw that in the theater either. And if bros like these like comedies have been kind of dwindling for a while. And I was listening to a podcast recently where Judd Apatow was like, when he was in his prime making movies, 
they could at least these studios could get like another twenty five million dollars in DVD sales, which obviously doesn't exist anymore. So like, if you're not gonna go see these movies in the theater, and like I definitely haven't either, but like, but you did studios. When did you you stopped going to the movies? You know, just a couple of years ago, and it was only because you know kids and the pandemic, which. But there were years where you were going all the time, just like me. So people got to pick up that slack in that same time period. The problem is, is kids these days don't watch movies anymore. And that's the problem. Like, so like for me, I, I'm speaking for myself in, in high school, all it was was looking forward to going to the weekend to go see a movie. Now they're doing other stuff. And that's kind of what stinks. Cause <laughs> let's put me back in eighth grade. We went and seen. Tu Wong Fu. Have you ever heard of this movie? I've heard of it. Haven't seen it. It's it's got Swayze, uh, Wesley Snipes, and John Leguizamo in drag. That's the movie. And the only reason we went and seen this movie because it was the only PG thirteen movie we were able to get into. And now we went and seen this movie, and for the time, we were eighth grade, <laughs> hilarious, making fun of people type of kids, and we went and saw this movie. So like, I could tell myself that if I was in eighth grade again. And this movie was the one that they allowed us in. I would have sat and watched this movie. Um, I saw the birdcage in the movie theater with my friends. I mean, I was always about any movie you can see, you can see it. But the problem is, is I think that's why not a lot of people are, are going to the movies because it's just a different type of era. And we're not going because, as you stated, not because we don't want to, but we're freaking busy. <laughs> It's just it's it's things because comedies are actually really great to see in the theater. The ability to laugh with people around you just makes true. the movie funnier. That is absolutely like, true. I remember seeing The Hangover opening night or second weekend it came out, and it was a packed theater, and we were all laughing our asses off together. Yep. That movie was so funny, even to like the ending credits. You picked them. I mean, I American Pie won. Old theaters laughing, American Pie too. Old theaters laughing. I mean, if they're not, it, you're right. But it, you know, even that though, it's the movie. Like, you know. I've said it before. Like, Superbad came out like the summer in between my, I think, sophomore and junior year of college. And when I came back to college, everybody was talking about Superbad because yeah. that move. I do think part of it is like these, like, were movies just better ten years ago? Does that help? Like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to say that out loud. Now you're worrying about so many different things. Like back then, everyone laughed at the same stuff. Or it was more of a concise. Now, honestly, let's be really honest with one another. There's so many people out there that would make ignorant, rude jokes about this movie even coming out on one side of the aisle or the other. That the reality is is there isn't as many open-minded people than there were 10 years ago. You stated it earlier, you know, I mean, I think that it's just, you know, maybe I don't even know what I was going to say you stated earlier. But that being said, you. I I do think there still would be plenty of people like if people were going to the theater that would see bros regardless. I don't. We're going to the theater now, though. That's over with. I think we're just not going. But now the theater is is the doors are open and people are just not going. Um that's really what it is or they're going so like take for instance what's another newer movie that's come out let me look here and i could see 
to judge it based on another movie that's currently at the movie theater here. I'll find out here. Don't but, worry, darling. Okay. Don't worry, darling. Or the okay, here we go. Here's a good one. The Woman King. This movie just came up last week, I believe. People are talking about it. I see it on the commercials. The Woman King, PG 13. Let's see how much the Woman King has brought in. It's brought way more than I mean, even at the first weekend. Well, yeah, 50 million. So you can't say people aren't going to the movie theater. I would never see the Woman King, but the Woman King brought in 50 million dollars. Bros, people just aren't going to see that type of movie or want to see that movie. I mean, that's what it says. I mean, let's be really honest with you. We would, me and you would rather go see probably Bros than the Woman King. But I, I can't wait till Bros comes to streaming. I'm going to yeah. rent the shit out of that movie. But like, well, yeah, you know, I'm hoping it. Who made Bros? I'm just going to look here. Nicholas Stoller. Universal Pictures. So what is oh. that? That's NBC, isn't it? Yeah. So that will probably be on Peacock. We'll probably get that pretty soon, really soon. But yeah, I mean, I would definitely watch that one too. And this Fletch movie, Confess Fletch. Um, it, it's, did you, I'm sure you have never seen the original Fletch movies. You are correct, sir. <laughs> really, really hilarious. And John Hamm, I have not watched this yet. Have you watched this yet? No, I. I don't really like I've honestly I've heard a lot of really good things online about it and I just it I have no desire to see it. It's like no, this is hilarious because it's a bad news, good news situation. Bad news is I don't have Paramount. Good news is uh it'll be on Showtime October 28, 2022. So oh, perfect for you, Tony. <laughs> so I will get around to watching this, but uh Curious because all, like you said, the reviews have been pretty positive. I'm a huge John Hamm fan, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. And it's it's tough because so Confess Fletch has nothing but great buzz online, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't released in theaters. It's just no. being VOD, and even still, that this movie can't make money. Well, no. I mean, honestly, I'm looking right here. It has a budget of twenty million dollars, and it's only it only right now has five hundred thirty-eight thousand five hundred thirty-eight thousand dollars. And I'm pretty um, sure John Hamm took like reduced money to get money on the back end. Well, because what ends up happening is, is again, Fletch isn't a proper. They, you know, how long they've been wanting to make this Fletch movie? So long. It's been everyone from here we go. Names such as Kevin Smith and Jason Lee, Bill Lawrence and Zach Braff, and Jason Sudeikis, they've all been attached. This movie has passed through um, so many hands that it just needed to be released somewhere, I think. Um, I'm okay, where... But this is like supposedly a very good, a very funny movie from a guy who knows how to direct good and funny movies. Yeah. Like, you know, John Hamm's not like super well known, but he's not like a, a rando either. And that movie can't make money. You know, Billy Agner, I know, isn't like a big name, which is why I think Judd Apatow is who's who produced the film is trying to stump for it as well. But like, man, people aren't seeing did studio you, comedies anymore. Did you and, see Greg Molotola's movie before this one, Keeping Up with the Joneses? I saw it in, uh, I rented it because it's. Or like a streamer because it's not very good. No, I mean, but John Hamm's in that one, right? But that one, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, 2016. I'm trying to think what he's done 
in between this and that because but like he like he helped um little dicky start his show and like uh, directed his show and i like i like dave a lot dave, you know it's right. it's that's tv right. you know right. he he did the newsroom and then like so like at least Nicholas Stiller has been working a little bit in film longer than Greg Matola, but like I don't know if it's what Greg Matola is just interested in, or it's like you know the money's in TV. Let's just get that TV money. But I mean, between Paul and Confess Fletch, he has literally one studio movie. Yeah. Yeah. Nicholas Nicholas Stoller. Before Bros, you know, he has Storks and Neighbors 2, which came out in, in 2016 because he did the Friends from College TV show for Netflix, which okay. is also not very good. <laughs> but, like, you know, start off his career, like, I'm, I don't really enjoy all these movies, but Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Get Him to the Greek, The Five-Year Engagement, Neighbors... That's four movies between 2008 and 2014, you know? And then since then, he doesn't, you know, his next real, you know, he's got Neighbors 2, but then his next live studio action movie is Bros. I'm curious how that this all works. If you want to know what, if I could get us someone to talk to, how it, how it all works, how you're able to get, do they hire you? Like, like, so... Is this going to be trouble for Nicholas Stoller to get work because this movie isn't going to do so well, or does he already have a contract in place where he's going to get hired to to do a said movie? Um, because when you look at other directors, they'll do a, a flop, and it's almost like then you won't hear from him for a long time. <laughs> if know? I was a movie studio, I don't know why I would greenlight uh, a comedy like just an outright comedy because. People aren't going to them anymore. Well, no. I mean, the last 10 years of studio comedies, um, I've, com- I've, tried, I've tried to compile a list of what I thought were... Yeah, what do you think is the best, like, like outright studio comedy, like a bros-type movie that has been made since 2012? Okay, like straight up just comedy, like bros movie? Yeah. You know, I think, like, this is the end was was pretty high up there when it was released. A lot of people liked that. Yeah, one. I mean, I think it's definitely. I have but, that circle too. It's it actually, you know, it, it is probably the best. And that movie is 2013, so it's it technically is 10 years ago, but basically at the very tail end of it. But now, if you're asking movies that I like, I liked. I like Brian Cranston and why him? I know it's not a, it's not a great comedy. Did you ever see that one? Probably not. Yeah, I, I did. It's not very good. <laughs> get get hard. Did you like that one? Oh, is that the Will Ferrell? Uh, yes. Kevin? No. Yeah. How about Grudge Match? Oh, is that the is that the Nero and Stallone? Yeah. See, like, I'm picking at, like, straws here. I mean, okay, so the Nice Guys is considered a comedy. That's pretty funny. Um, Birdman, I mean, that's kind of, like, dramedy. Um, See, like, now you're veering towards, like, there isn't kind of, like, good movies that are just that there are funny. Straight, but... There isn't, because there isn't a straight, there isn't a good straight comedy now that we're bringing it up. 
I mean, so I, I personally, I really like uh, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Okay, that's a good one. That is a good one. That would probably be my favorite too. I like that one a lot. Um, blockers. So blockers. I looked at came it's out okay. in 2018. I like it. I like that movie. At least that movie like made it. money. It had a budget of yeah. about 21 million. That would be your biggest one. I think I could remember of, of recent. Um, yeah, blockers is a good one. So like at least there's some record of yes. these movies making money. Um, well, but like what made that one so special? I mean, it's a good movie, but like movies like Tag, did you like that movie? No, it wasn't. <laughs> but like that's what they were trying to make. You know, that's what they're trying to make. Uh, okay, around the same time as Keeping Up with the Joneses came out, they came up with another. Galvagankis ruined his career by making movies like Masterminds, where like you keep doing the same character, you know, over. And over and over to effect where it becomes old, and that's kind of like what Will Ferrell has done with some of his characters. People have become tired of certain things. The problem is, is you have to rely on somebody like Pete Davidson. So I guess like, who's your newest comedians who are out there? Because that's who's going to be putting out your comedies, right? But they exist. Yeah, like so, like I mean, like Billy Eichner hasn't like headlined a movie before. Even though he's he's obviously been doing comedy. And... What about like Kate McKinnon? I mean, do you consider like Sisters a, go- a good studio comedy? With uh... I enjoy Sisters. Yeah, I mean that's not a bad movie. I guess you could put that up there in, in in the list. But like, what about the Staten Island? Is that a comedy, or would you put that more into something else? The King of Staten. Island? Um, I would put it as a studio comedy because it's you know stars Pete Davidson and directed by Judd Apatow. It just that had the. You know, it got released June or like summer 2020 when literally theaters weren't open. What a, you know, I mean, but that's, I mean, I think what else do you got? You got anything else on your list for studio comedies? Yeah. So, like, I have a whole bunch of like studio comedies that like, I liked. The best ones I thought were, you mentioned This is the End, mm-hmm. Neighbors. I actually really like Pitch Perfect too. I'll defend that movie. I think that's really funny. Um, Mike and Dave need wedding dates, blockers, and Booksmart, like headlined my list. But then there's like some other solid ones, like Long Shot, um, Game Night. Okay, Game Night's really good. Long Shot's not terrible. I like Long Shot a lot. I sometimes you know those Seth Rogen movies will will get to me. Um, at least they try to do something different with the genre with Girls Trip. Yeah. Um, what's the one? Oh, what's the one that's really good? I actually like here. Hold on. Bad Moms. I really like this movie a lot from, well, never. 2017, yes, it counts. It's in the year. Rough Night. You ever see Rough Night? What's, which one's Rough Night? It's got uh, Scarlett Johansson, Kate McKinnon, Jillian Bell, Zoe Kravitz. Alina Glazer. Um, also in it is um, Demi Moore, Ty Burrell, um, Bo Burnham. It's ridiculous if you've never seen it. It's pretty. I, I'm like watching the trailer now, like uh, maybe <laughs> without the sound. I I legitimately don't remember this movie existing. Another one that I didn't didn't bring up that I really liked that you brought him up before. 
I would put this movie honestly when we get around to Christmas time, we'll talk about it more. Office Christmas party? Oh, actually, yes. I wasn't that wasn't even the one I'm talking about, but I do like that movie a lot. Uh, the night before with Seth Rogen. I thought that was funny. I like Michael Shannon's cameo in it. Yeah, he's great in that movie. Um, but uh I mean, generally anything, let's see here. I mean, like you brought up Seth Rogen. So, I mean, anything he's been in in the last, I mean, Sausage Party. I like Sausage Party. Okay, so here's, I made a list of movies between 2003 and 2011. Okay. Of like big studio comedies that I think are really fucking hysterical. Yes. Old School, Anchorman, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Waiting, Wedding Crashers, Borat, Knocked Up, Walk Hard, Super Bad, Step Brothers, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, The Hangover, I Love You Man, The Other Guys, She's Out of My League, and Bridesmaids. Yeah, those are all really good. So, I mean, the vast majority of them are directed by three guys, um, Adam McKay, Judd Apatow, and Todd Phillips. Yeah. Which helps, but like, I get that, like, not all those movies made money. Like, one of my favorite movies of all time is Anchorman, and I'm pretty sure that movie... Made absolutely no money in the theater. It was back but, to it made a lot. Of, you know, it was like that secondary market, like later on DVD and stuff. It did. Yeah, like the word of mouth helped that out yeah. a yeah. lot. So I bet you it did very well, like in DVD sales and yeah, and rentals and stuff. Um, but right, so like, but even still, like the Hangover made a lot of money. Oh, Super bad, knocked up. I bet you did well at the box office. Those Anchorman, like, I don't know how much Anchorman made, but it must have done well enough to make a sequel. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the thing is that... Bridesmaids definitely made money. Bridesmaids definitely made money. Um, Melissa McCarthy, I mean, she... The one with Jason Bateman and her, Identity Identity Thief, that was a pretty huge movie for her. Um, But, like, how many movies, like, made comedy, studio comedies made after 2012... Would you even compare to like half or three fourths of those movies I mentioned between 03 and 11? Mm, no, not a whole lot. Not I don't think I'd put any of them. Like, no. I like This is the End a lot. I think it's really funny. Um, I think it's Seth Rogen's like seventh best movie. I mean, I don't know offhand. I didn't do a ranking, but I mean, I would put it behind forty and and uh, super bad and knocked up. Yeah, I mean it's it's there isn't there isn't a really a movie in the last ten years that it's going to beat, at least from the those movies that we're talking about comedy straight studio comedies that are going to beat those movies that you mentioned because there's even so much more that you didn't mention. Honestly, I watched it so much recently on TV. I don't know if there's a movie in the last ten years that could beat Road Trip. And Road Trip isn't even like a main 90s movie, but that movie's pretty hilarious. And, uh, you know, so many movies, that's the problem is so many movies are taking from a lot of those movies back then, too. And the comedy is different, too. The crowd is different, too. You're trying to make laugh is different. I don't know. Yeah, I was looking at Road Trip. That was the top green one where he puts a rat in his mouth. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but I mean, you know, Pineapple Express even, I mean, that's before, that's 2008. That was a huge, huge hit. 
see the problem is is after this is the end they do this the interview and that kind of kind of you know it only did 12 12 million on a 44 million dollar well that's because it wasn't really released in theaters well for men it wasn't a good movie um i like the interview you like the interview really i think it's fine i'm shocked wow I like um, Randall Park in it as Kim Jong Un. Oh, I love Randall Park. I, I'm a huge Randall. This is I'm a, a huge Randall Park fan. Uh, Randall Park in Office Christmas Party. Um, I mean, you're right. It, it is definitely like lower tier Seth Rogen. I will say I don't. For what it is, let me put you this way: for what it is, I'm just saying I know why it didn't keep it. It didn't. It's not on the same level as other stuff. Like it is funny. Like his other. He's got it's funny stuff. It's just, you know, I don't know if it's just what else. Is, you know, I'm trying to look at recently. Back to Seth Rogen here, what he has done in in, in the recent. You know, I, I mean, Seth Rogen's next project is a Steven Spielberg film. Well, that's true. I'm talking about, but then we're veering off into not studio comedies. You know, I mean, then he's becoming a good actor because I actually enjoy him. Earlier, later, if we get to the top. I mean, do you know what he's doing now? He's like producing The Boys. Comedy actor in a drama. He's on my list. And I don't want to give it away if we don't get to it. No, but just I do think, it now. I think, just... I, think he's ama- I think he's amazing in Steve Jobs. Now, really? I, you don't, the movie itself isn't the greatest. But the way there's the scene where he comes into that theater and he really chews out Michael Fassbender and... I bought it, and very rarely do I buy anything that he's doing that isn't not Seth Rogen. But his character, I thought it was good for what he, the dialogue. And I also thought he was really good in Pam and Tommy. <laughs> now I know he was playing a schluff or whatever, but I, I like, like, as you stated before, I've never had an issue with him. I know a lot of, I've, not a lot of people, I've heard a couple people, even online, say, I don't like him. He annoys me. But the reality is, is he's, He's 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 good. He's he's got good. He's got good movies. I absolutely love Seth Rogen. He's like one of my guys. I really don't like any of his serious work. I yeah. I I didn't enjoy him. I thought he was fine in Steve Jobs. Um, I thought he you know he. Um, When's the last time you watched? How many times have you watched Steve Jobs? I just watched it once, right around uh, when it was released. So, like, and I know right now we're dealing with so much time constraints in the world, but if by chance it was ever on television and you were to just rewatch his performance and you look at it compared to, let's say, I'm trying to look at what other serious stuff has he got here. Yeah, he, he, he surprisingly doesn't do a whole lot of serious stuff. But, I mean, I think, you know, Pam and Tommy is a little bit more serious. Now, did you ever see Arizona? I don't even know what that is. Besides uh, the actual U.S. state, it's it's him. Um, he's in it. It's the actually he's not in it. I'm sorry, he produced this movie. Um, but Arizona is a movie with Danny McBride and Luke Wilson. But never, never saying that. That's not what I was um, getting at. But I just thought Fastbender like blew him out of the water. Like I think Fastbender is just so much. Well, he just, is. But like such a better what's his name? Fastbender's in the movie ninety percent, a hundred percent of the movie. Okay, everyone else in that movie are like slices of pizza. They come in the movie. I know, but like the movie. Jeff Daniels is able to hold his own. Kate Winslet is able to hold her own. I 
didn't feel like Seth Rogen was able to hold his own. I said, I love him. I just, I don't really like him in drama. But again, again, and, and no knock, no knock to you. Seven year, that's a seven year opinion. And you watched it once. I've watched Blonde twice in the last, last four or five days to get the perception. So like time changes movies. And I'm not saying they would change your opinion or even Seth Rogen. But again, when you've seen lately, he's done, let's see here. Neighbors 2 wasn't very good. Like Father, what was that even? That's um, his wife directed a movie, and it stars Kristen Bell. Um, on like she's going on a cruise, and oh, I never even heard of this. One. It's like it's a Netflix movie. She yeah. stops Seth Rogen like halfway through. It's yeah, it's you know, it's a Netflix movie. Um, he was though. I will give him mad credit. I like him in the Disaster Artist. He isn't in it very much, but he's hilarious. But I mean. Again, he's, it's more comedy than the Fablemans will be. The Fablemans will be if he can do it or not, and I don't really believe that Steven Spielberg would put him in a movie of that high order and have him not uh, not produce. But we'll we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you assume that Steven Spielberg knows what he's doing a little bit. You hope. You hope. Well, we'll see. I guess. <laughs> but like, I think there's like I I have a list of great comedy actors and dramas like Jim Carrey and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. On my list? Yeah, of course. He's I think def- he's absolutely incredible in it. Like, Definitely. I don't think Seth Rogen like, has that performance in him at all. Well, again, he, when it was came out, he was talked about quite a lot in that movie. See, you, when we went through comedies of the 10 years, you're like, you know what movie I really like is this movie. But that's your perspective, and a lot of people did like him in that role. You just didn't like him in that role. It's kind of like you didn't never see Sandler in Uncut Gems, but that's put on the list of one of the greatest comedy actors in a drama. You know? What yeah, I'm but I like my dislike of Uncut Gems doesn't have anything to do with Sandler. It but you can't with... tell me about the performance, though. Right, and nor, nor will I claim to. I, from all accounts, he's very good. I don't think people were clamoring. If Seth Rogen was truly great and Steve Jobs, he would have gotten an Academy nomination or even a Golden Globe. He didn't. He got no talking about about Steve Jobs at all. Let me let me look here. Hold on a second here. But that being said, who else you got on your list for for dramas? Um, Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. Yes, that is on my list. That's a huge one on my list. Yeah, um, I, th- I think people forget how. You know, essentially, Hanks was just a bosoms buddy guy, the and you know, and big, still kind of lighthearted. You know, Splash, Bachelor Party. You know, he was in like lighthearted or straight up comedy movies, and then he Philadelphia, was. he's like shows up as a lawyer with AIDS. It's like holy crap! Definitely, he was definitely that was a, a big turning point for him. And honestly, I think. I think it's his pinnacle performance. It's my favorite, honestly, of all of his. But yeah, definitely. That it's was, his what performance? It's my favorite performance of his. But what's what's the word that began with the P? I said I, maybe I missed my word. Favorite. <laughs> you you accidentally said pinnacle. Pinnacle, pinnacle, pinnacle. I, I know what you meant. I'm just kidding. I know. Shit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're. You're giving me shit for Steve Jobs. I'm looking at it here. He got no, no, I'm, just, I'm not giving you shit for Steve Jobs. I just didn't think Seth Rogen was all that great in it. But but see, that's what I'm saying. Like, who else you got on your list? Let me let's hear your whole list. All right, I got um, 
you know, we've talked about Robin Williams on past podcasts and, you know, I'm on record is that I enjoy his serious movies so much more than his comedy movies, but Robin Williams is obviously a great comedian and his performance in Good Will Hunting is incredible. I got that on my list. It's going to be tough for me to come up with anything bad about your list because it's all on my list. What else you got? Um, All right. Uh, Jack Black and Bernie. You ever see Bernie? Ooh, I love Jack Black and Bernie. And I actually have Jack Black on my list for something else. King Kong. I thought he played, he wasn't comedy in King Kong and he did a good job in that movie. I honestly forgot that movie. I've seen it and I think I fell asleep in the theater. Oh, you, you're so, you're such a... (laughs) When did that? When did his King Kong, um, Peter Jackson's King Kong, come out? I think it was like two thousand and three. Now I'm gonna have to look it up here. Hold on. I think it was a little bit late. Two thousand five. Yeah. Two thousand five. So I was a, a freshman in, in college oh, oh, when that movie okay. came well, out. I, well, I definitely well, fell asleep during in the middle of that movie. Oh, no, you're such. You're, you didn't like the other King. Kong. <laughs> you didn't like this King. You fell asleep in this King Kong. What did you think about King Kong versus Godzilla? Did you see? Oh, that? I, I didn't watch that movie. See, this is. All right, you're you're off of King Kong. Um, I didn't like either Godzilla or King Kong. Why would I watch them oh, together? Man. These are like my favorite. You're like striking down. Okay, that's okay. So who else you got after Jack Black? But well, back to Bernie. We're gonna have to do a segment on uh, Bernie at some point because that's an amazing movie. Yeah, Jack Black's great, Bernie. Um, the aforementioned Melissa McCarthy in "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" The Mario yeah. Heller. She's freaking great as Lee Israel plays a just counterfeiter. Yeah, she's great. That movie came to me a lot later, and that's a really good movie. Uh, Eddie Murphy in Dreamgirls. Good pick there. Maybe shouldn't have done Norbit. He might have had an Academy Award by now. <laughs> and the last one I have on my list is uh, Whoopi Goldberg in The Color Purple. Wow, I have that on my list too. Um, of Philadelphia, all right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm afraid who I'm, I'm afraid to mention a couple of these because you're going to say you don't like them. And I get my feelings get hurt when you say you don't like stuff. But you ever see Steve Coogan in Philomena? No, because uh, that movie seemed like Oscar bait to me. Again, see, that's why I'm afraid to say some of this stuff. Hey, just because I didn't <laughs> see the movie doesn't mean Steve, I love Steve Coogan. But if how you told me something Steve Coogan is like, Steve Coogan isn't like Oscar, but I get what you're saying because you're not. No, wrong. Philomena is Oscar bait. Not... You're not wrong. Okay, so we're gonna move on from that. All right, I love Steve Coogan and um, the aforementioned Stan and Ollie. Yes, he is good in that. What about uh, Bill Murray in Saint Vincent? You ever see Saint Vincent? You weren't gonna go Lost in Translation. Everybody goes Lost in Translation. I'm I'm trying to go another way. I mean, I Lost in Translation isn't. I don't really in. I, I, I don't hate that movie, but I never necessarily put it up there as something I like a lot. How many times have you seen Lost in Translation? Oh, twice. Oh, okay. Because I didn't like it the first time I saw it, and then I revisited it. But like, like, I like what I like. I know what he's doing with it. It's it's. Let me put it to you this way: I get what he's doing, and it's done well. It's just not my cup of tea, but I get why people like it. It's also like I do enjoy Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but it's another movie I've only watched it a couple times. I don't think it's it's not something I, I long to watch again. He's good in it. See now who's hurting who? Well, I mean, but like let's be honest. Of all the movies we're gonna talk about today, I mean, 
we don't have enough time in the day. You're not going to put that's not going to be one of your top 100 you're going to put on. There's no way. Eternal like, Sunshine? Yeah, you like that movie in your top 100? I absolutely love Eternal Sunshine. But in your top 100 of all time? Probably. You know what? This is going to be a good topic. I'm going to come up with 100 movies that I bet you put on before that movie. Listen, I I mean, once I get past like 8, I have a tough time determining what's on the <laughs> list, but like Eternal Sunshine is a four-star movie for it me. It is a four-star movie, but like I'm just saying, like Philadelphia is a four-star movie. I don't, I don't think, I actually don't think Philadelphia is a very good movie. I think it's got good performances. No, but I mean, do you know why I don't like it? Why? Because it's, I don't like Denzel being able to just monologue in the middle of a trial. (laughs) You just turned this whole conversation amazing. I like, I don't like it for the legal procedural aspects of it. You just. You just, you ever seen the baseball game where someone gets struck out and they're just standing there staring back at the pitcher and they walk back to the dugout? That's what you just did to me right there. That was probably one of my top moments on the show ever because I didn't, I was really like, I'm like, where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? Okay. Okay. I, I get it. I guess, I guess again, that movie, probably again, I hold it more higher because I've watched it like, it got to me at a young age, so like I still hold it at that young age movie. But uh, you know, um, <coughs> Val, all all very good points. This was very, this was a very good one. You got anything else? Are we ready to move on to the next one? No, that's. I mean, you could go on. I just. I stopped at like what did I stop at eight? We 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 got we we mentioned so many. We got some good ones. All right. Do you want to do best fictional projects? Sure, let's do it. I'm excited. All right. So, before you mentioned um, Dracula the Musical and forgetting Sarah Marshall, <laughs> um, like I legit want to see that play. Yes. I think the songs that Jason Siegel performs are like funny and good. Yes. Um, Which is hilarious. I didn't even realize when I brought that up that that is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So like. It's mainly TV shows and movies, but I 100% song, would see. But like, he no, but he, he performs, he, he creates yeah, a play yeah, yeah, at the very but, end. Yeah, yeah. that's why I said it was, it's, maybe we that write him, we'll write him and have him see if he can make that movie. That would be. I, I have so much good stuff. All right, <laughs> so, so for me, the number one is, you know, and he's got a real movie coming out in Avatar, but I 100% want to see James Cameron's Aquaman from Entourage with Vinny Chase's Aquaman, Manny Morris Aqua Girl, and James Woods as the bad guy. Me too. Me too. Since they released that trailer where he's running and he dives off of the... the yeah, you uh, only see part of the movie in the, <laughs> in the show. But honestly, there's a lot of movies in Vinny Chase's career like obviously Adrian Grenet is like not that great of an actor, but like Vinny Chase is supposed to be a pretty good one. Oh yeah. Um, so I hundred percent want to see head on Queens Boulevard. Um, I don't want to see Meta Ian because apparently that movie is poo poo. I want to see I just for the ridiculousness of it. I definitely have always been. A you want to see Billy Walsh's epic <laughs> blunder of a masterpiece? 
just because of when Vinny's got the costume on and he's screaming and he's like got like a machine gun, I think, in his hand. No, like, he um he's playing soccer with the kids and it's cross cutting between his um right. his thugs yeah. and troops murdering everyone else. Yes, classic, classic right there. Um, but he gets out of his funk by uh he gets the Nick uh I can't remember this character. But Martin Scorsese is adapting the great Gatsby. <laughs> What's the Toby Maguire's character's name in the Baz Luhrmann Great Gatsby? Oh, the Toby Maguire character. Hold on, let me look here. Old. We're looking at old. Can I get to the first? Old. 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 Nick Carraway. Nick, Nick Carraway. Nick Carraway is his name. So Vinny Chase gets out of the camera. Oh, I, I just looked at IMDb. We both. Uh, Again, I just want to see a Martin Scorsese version. That would be awesome. And uh, oh, that would be Frank Darabont of Shawshank Redemption fame makes a biopic about Enzo Ferrari, um, where Vinny Chase <laughs> plays the titular character. Again, the main one is is Aquaman, but I want to see Vinny Chase's career. Yeah, um, one of our friends at. Uh, Action movie book club. I think Hans, his number one is uh, Rochelle Rochelle from Seinfeld. Ooh. The erotic thriller from Milan to Minsk <laughs> that eventually gets made into a Broadway play. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, Rochelle Rochelle sounds very boring. I, but I do love the running gag in the show. Um, I've thought this was a real movie for the longest time the angels with filthy souls from home alone oh yes the, the old-timey yeah. gangster movie that macaulay Culkin plays um that you know you just hear the dialogue from outside um i don't know if that would be a good movie but no I but think that's, that's to put that... on our, around christmas time <laughs> I also thought that was always a real movie, and I was shocked to find that it wasn't. But yes, definitely. It's cool how they were able to make... I like this idea when they do this in the movies, because it shows you're actually taking even a step more into creative. You're creating in the creative, and I, I like that a lot. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in Tropic Thunder. Oh, yeah. There's a whole bunch of trailers. in the like. I don't want to see Jack Blatt's Meet the Farts or whatever. No, but... but- you want to see Satan's Alley. Yes, I was gonna say I hundred percent want to see Satan's Alley. Speaking of Toby Maguire, I've never and I've I wanna never, I wanna have takes on the Scorcher franchise. Uh, yes, yes. I've never laughed so hard in the movie theater at the beginning of Satan's Alley. Um at the very end they showed the trailer. And the very end of the trailer, it's Robert Downey Jr. and he's like, Sorry, Father, I have sinned. And then that's how, like, the trailer ends. But, like, to imagine that actually being a really trailer, um, amazing. Um, I want to see Simple Jack. I'm a huge <laughs> Simple I Jack. Mean, Simple is Jack is supposedly awful in, it in this is, world. And I don't really know how to ever use Simple Jack in this world. But because of, I don't want to use, I just like some of his lines. Like, there's so many people I work with that. I'm waiting them for them to say, I see you in my head movies when when they speak. There's just really good dialogue on Simple Jack. I don't really know how I'm supposed to take that. but. Um, and I also like, even though they don't end up finished filming it, I would love to see a film version of the Tropic Thunder. 
Oh yeah. The movie. Oh yeah. That would also, speaking would of Steve good. Coogan, gets blown up early on in the movie. That's right. I forgot he's in there. Definitely. <laughs> um, let's see what else I have. You ever see uh, For Your Consideration? The um. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Christopher Guest movie. Oh yeah. Where the first they're filming Home for Purim, and then once it starts getting Oscar buzz, they have to change it to I think it's like Home for Thanksgiving or something. Yes. Yes. I know you've definitely seen UH Chef. Oh wow, yeah, that was a good one you picked out there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good parodies in that. Yes, uh, the one I picked is Gandhi Two. <laughs> oh, <laughs> where he, Gandhi is like shooting machine guns at the British Empire. The best is in that in that in that scene. He's he's at a restaurant and he just asks the waiter. He goes, "I'll take a steak, medium rare." I don't know why it's that's the dialogue, but I always remember that as a kid. Classic, classic. You know, with the Weird Al biopic coming out later in the year, if that's a good enough excuse, if you haven't seen UHF, watch UHF. Speaking of Seinfeld, it's got Michael Richards in UHF. Yes, as a as a custodian, really, really good role. And then Thirty Rock has a lot of great, just incredible parodies of everything. The um, the rural juror. <laughs> um, as a, it's like, uh, like a Kevin Grisham non adaptation, where you, um, it's just a great running bit of they don't know the title of the rural juror, so they just call it the merger. Um, <laughs> well, then there's just a whole bunch of like cutaways. Um, there's there's a reality show in this world where Will Ferrell plays the bitch hunter, <laughs> where he just like shoots women, which sounds awful as i'm saying it out loud but it's a very funny gag on the show um the reality show milf island (laughs) there's a show called god cop which i think is absolutely hysterical because one i'm pretty sure a couple years later they made lucifer which is basically devil cop but it's like the whole premise of god is a police officer and it's just this like nbc procedural (laughs) <laughs> they try to solve crimes, but like, there's a joke of like, aren't you Gotch? You know who's, who did the crime? <laughs> and uh, the game show Homonyms. Oh, yeah. that was that's, that's... <laughs> No, the other one. The other one. <laughs> Where it's essentially you have to he says a word and you have to guess the meaning and he just says, because there's two meanings, he just always says the other one. Oh, yeah. That's, that's such that's, a great bit. <laughs> All right, what do you got for Ooh, fictional got, movies or TV ones. shows? I got uh, from, um, what is that, Grindhouse. I've got the um, The machete. three trailers? Yeah, the trailers, the Machete trailer. Um, I, I mean, they really, made Machete eventually. Yeah, and then that actually ended up being made, but the Thanksgiving one is good. Um, the Rob Zombie one is ridiculous. Um, Who are the directors of those trailers? Rob Zombie directed the one. Um, Eli Roth directed the thanksgiving and then of edgar course, wright did one right um edgar wright did the thanksgiving one i mean edgar wright did thanksgiving um rob zombie did the very first one um it was women of the ss or something werewolf women of the ss and then machete was of course um rodriguez um did you ever see bowfinger purple rain uh, <laughs> that's that is no, a, what's... a funny movie Chubby rain. It's chubby, chubby, chubby rain. rain. Chubby, chubby rain. Um, I had night. like four VHSs. 
in my house, <laughs> and like one of them and was Bowfinger. That is awesome. That actually right here, that gets a clap from me. That's pretty cool. But um, I don't think it would be an actual good movie because the Steve Martin character is supposedly like a very bad director. Well, no, I'm just looking at ones that people like in their minds remember. No, no, no I, I know, I know. Yes. Um, another one that I had, um, and we talked about them last week, but all those movies that in Clerks, um, he goes into the porn shop and he names all the make-believe porn titles. That's always really hilarious that people enjoy that. Um, generally, we've hit on all of the main ones. Let me see if there's any more that we've missed. No, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I would like to see all of those movies that um, Leo, Rick Dalton. That was like the 14 Fists of McCluskey. Yes. If me and you could go see um, Kill Me Quick Gringo. Oh, the, the spaghetti westerns he makes at the end. If we could go to just a night of spaghetti westerns, that would be uh, hilarious. Of Rick Dalton spaghetti westerns, but no, I think we've we've covered we covered all the all the good ones. I think. I mean, I want to see that Rick Dalton TV show pilot with uh, what was it opposite Timothy Oliphant? Yes, because that's basically just like a play off of Justified. Yes, yes. Um. And Mel Brooks, really quick, at the end of History of the World Part 1, he's always said there was going to be a History of the World Part 2, and it's never came. So I'd like to see that. That's all I got. You got anything else? No, that's uh, – I said all mine. All right. I think we got one time for one more before we hit uh, House of the Dragon. Yeah, what, which one do you want to pick? You could pick. We're doing acting duos, scenes in a car, or wardrobes. You get to pick. Let's do uh, acting duos. All right, acting duos. Who do you got? All right. I think the classic, super old school ones of uh, Abbott and Costello. Ooh, yes. And then uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Excellent. I have to be honest, I don't think I can name a single Fred Astaire or Ginger Rogers movie. Neither can I, my friend. And I'm sorry, um, Adam, that we can't. Adam G yelled at us on Twitter. You, you, he's already yelled. He's yelled at me for quite a few stuff, even from our last episode. So I'll be waiting. Uh, it's okay. Continue. Uh, we, you know, we talked earlier, the very beginning, about John C. Riley. He's done some movies with Will Ferrell that are quite funny. These yes. two of them are pretty funny. Yes. Um, you know, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, I think, you know, they obviously work a lot with Scorsese, but the three of them together have made some pretty, pretty good movies together. I would say definitely so. Um, let's see. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan has made a triple of some pretty good rom-coms. Let's see. People, I shouldn't say pretty good because I'm not a fan of them, but people who like rom-coms like those movies of Sleepless in Seattle You've got mail, and was it Joe versus the volcano? Is that the third yep. one? Yep, that is true. Have you? I assume you've seen Sleepless in Seattle, right? Uh yeah, I've seen, I've seen it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. So I hate that premise of Meg Ryan is about to get. I can't remember who plays her fiance, but she starts the movie engaged and happily engaged, and then hears Tom Hanks' story on the radio, and suddenly like falls in love. Because his like uh, yeah. wife died, and then, like, for some reason, doesn't try to get married because 
she's trying to hook up with Tom Hanks, who like I'm pretty sure doesn't even live in the same state. Bill Pullman <laughs> yes, plays, Bill I think. Put, yeah, I'm, looking away. I'm looking at it right now. Yes. Like I why do people like sleepless and see? And you've got males even worse because oh, is. Tom yeah. Hanks has kind of destroyed Meg Ryan's business. Um those are just I would call those just movie bait. They just put it out there in the water and back then they were able just to hook, line, and sinker. Um yeah, there's nothing really special about to me either one of those movies at all. I like I absolutely hate the premise of Sleepless in Seattle. And, and now, if you go out. back to Meg Ryan, like if you go like Joseph Joe versus the Volcano is different than those other two movies. That movie's actually not. It's more eccentric than that movie. These two movies. These two movies are straight rom coms. But even if you go to Meg Ryan and um, you ever see uh, when Harry met Sally? Of course. Uh, I think that movie is a lot better than these two movies. Because um, at least the premise of that movie yeah. like makes sense of like yeah. two friends just kind of being yeah. in each other's lives, but yeah, for these movies just kind of, uh, yeah, premises were lame. Um, but as you stated, though, very successful. I mean, Sleep of Seattle, I mean, took in, you know, fifteen times its budget. So I mean, kudos to Sleepless in Seattle, but it wasn't for me. Um, I'm pretty sure these two have only worked together twice, Paul. Newman and Robert Redford. Yes, I had that. But one. doesn't yeah. it feel like they've done more movies together? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's you, you just kind of. Uh, I mean, the two know, that they did together are pretty great. Yeah, I think it's it's. You know, it, it depends on like you, you you we always say you know what's the quality versus the quantity. You know, I mean, there's a lot of quality in those two. Where there's maybe quantity in somewhere else where maybe it's not as as good. Yeah, and then I think this is partially helped by their real life outside of movies friendship, but Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have done a handful of movies together. Oh yeah. Um I absolutely love Dogma. I think I said it on the Kevin Smith podcast we just did, but like yeah. that movie is like why aren't Matt Damon and Ben Affleck just like growing out in movies more often? I like, I, was, I liked The Last Duel a lot, but like that movie needed more Ben Affleck and Matt Damon together. I like that movie quite a bit. Um, I was actually thinking about that this week more. Um, the Last Duel? Yeah, that movie's really good. Um, but you're right. They weren't really on screen as much as they should have been. <laughs> it almost seems like sometimes they stay away from each other sometimes. I don't know. I think they did it for the longest time. You like know. after uh, you know, the early 2000s. I mean, obviously they're in Goodwill Hunting together as friends. It's true. Uh, you know, some, you know, when you do these lists, you can probably do, you know, millions more, but I stopped after like eight. Uh, you got any? Yeah. Some quick ones. Um, Vince Vaughn and John Favreau, they've been together on screen. Rudy, Rudy. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't go back to that. You You're know, so money, man. You're so money. Honestly, you don't even know it. Just the conversation in the beginning of the breakup at the ball, at the ball game. Um, you know, because Favreau's the Sox fan and Vince is the Cubs fan, and they're arguing back and forth. But Swingers made um, pretty good. Um, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, we mentioned them earlier with Paul. You can go down all their movies that they, they did the together. Coronado trilogy with yes. uh, Edgar Wright. The Edgar Wright trilogy. Um, 
Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, um, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Oh, classic pairing, classic pairing. You mentioned them earlier um, for your consideration, Eugene Leve and Catherine O'Hara. Oh, um, how can I? I mean, those two should play like husband and wife and every, like everything. I mean, I really love, um, I'm a really huge fan of it, some of that Christopher Guest work. I really like the dog one is one of my favorites. The best, best in show. Yeah, I've never laughed so hard in some of that. Um, I mean, Fred Willard like basically Fred makes Willard best just... in show. Everything he says in that movie is just absolutely hysterical. Um, Obviously, the running joke that Catherine O'Hara has like slept with every guy that they meet. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. You know, I mean, you would have to put in the category. We talked about them last week, but I mean, I know acting duos, as we stated, you know, like Jay and Silent Bob, they're an acting duo. They've been in quite a lot of movies together. Um, Cheech and Chong. I mean, yeah, maybe they're not the greatest movies, but culturally they are known as a good duo in movies. Um, You know, generally, like we talked about, a duo is generally someone you got to work with at least a couple times um i mean we could probably go on and on about like <clears throat> famous comedy duos like cheech and chong and that but <coughs> whoa well, shit, hold on that's where you generally <sighs> find a lot more of your stuff is in the comedy oh, excuse me. you find a lot more acting duos in the comedy variety than you would say the drama right yeah i mean because it's a cl- like that classic straight man Funny man, like um, yeah. David Spade and Chris Farley. Like, yeah. perfect. That's another combo that I didn't even think about. But yeah, um, definitely in the comedy. And I think honestly, now honestly, I'm gonna spend some time thinking of studio comedies, and then mixing it with acting duos and see if there's a correlation. I mean, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey did Sisters and Baby Mama. Did they do other? No. But you know that there's a good chance that they probably will do something else. Um, but uh, yeah, like you said, there are there are lots and lots of duos. But I think we hit all the we hit all uh, some good ones. And if we think of more, we could always come back at a later date and talk more about duos. But now you know, I'll, want- I'll post it on our on our Twitter account of like what are some yeah. of your favorite duos in movie history. Yeah, and we'll always, if we need to come back and just say a couple that we missed, that's no problem. But here we are. We are landing. We are landing in our final spot here. Your favorite place. We're landing in Westeros. Your your favorite your favorite area. I'm very I'm very curious to hear you. I'm very curious to hear your your words of this. And what's really great for our listeners is we don't even know what each of us are going to have to say about this because we have not spoke about this yet. Um, how did you feel about this this last episode of House of Dragon? Episode yeah, 7. Um, there are elements of the show that I do really like. The whole confrontation of um, one kid cut the other kid. Yeah. Jace yeah, cuts not Aegon. If you get the names right for me for this um, show, but I, I know Aegon's the oldest one, and yeah, <clears throat> but uh, okay, 
how so you never read the book right the no, based on fire no, and blood I not, no how much do you think not reading the book has affected your watching because i like i will consume a lot of secondary resources about a lot of genre shows like the marvel shows and game of thrones um and i realized like i really criticized those marvel shows for like needing kind of a secondary youtube channel basically to explain stuff to me and i feel like i'm just like naturally doing that with game of thrones or at least with house of the dragon whereas game of thrones i feel like did a really good job even if you weren't a book reader of like putting you in this world whereas i realized if i'm like so for example in this past episode um where the not Aegon kid essentially becomes a dragon rider for um that big dragon what's his Viserys or not Viserys, yeah. i can't remember the dragon's name but do you did you know that that dragon was part of Aegon the Conqueror's like one of the three dragons he used to originally conquer Westeros, and is the biggest and oldest dragon? No, no. Yeah, like right, like I know that because I consume secondary resources. Yeah, and like when I'm watching the show with my wife, whenever she has questions, I actually find myself being able to answer them pretty well. Yeah, no. But if you like, I feel like this show is like not being made for even fans like me or you who like know pretty well like are like they're not like my wife who's just kind of like second screening it almost but like fans like you and me who like are trying like it's dense but like we're trying to pay attention and even still we need secondary resources to watch the show and it's not good storytelling if you have to do that like the weight of that little kid becoming the dragon rider should have been a much bigger deal and it's also it's treated just kind of like another plot point on the show uh, time is moving at a, at, a, at a rate that I, I i'm not i'm not sure what they're doing here um because in a little while i mean they're moving the next episode in the preview shows that they're even is more of a time jump yeah i think it's like another 10 year time jump the the i but like I try to say from the beginning, I'm thinking that this show, they're trying, they're gonna get it to the Mad King, you know, and see this show is gonna be moving, and they're gonna give you everything up until Game of Thrones. That being said, the show comes across very campy, that I don't feel that the original Game of Thrones had. Um, I enjoy camp, so like I'm not saying I don't enjoy this. I'm just saying it's very like. Like, and what? Give me a scene in, in Game of Thrones that was like, I, I gotta look up his name, but when, what's his name? Stephen Toussaint's son was down there in the water, just standing there, sad because his sister fell. And he yells at the squire to go down there and, and, and get him or whatnot. It just seems very like overly. It's, it's somewhere around, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of like a soap opera, not a soap opera. Um, why isn't Patty dead yet? I love Patty. I hope he stays around forever. But by God, you know. They, I they, don't understand why they made him falling apart if he's going to live for 30 fucking years. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and also, like, 
in this episode, you have the whole scene at where you find out about the son getting his eye cut out, everyone screaming at one another. Then Olivia Cook runs over and she slashes her arm. It, it was all, that's not, that wouldn't have been in the original Game of Thrones. Um, meanwhile, Patty's just standing there, looks awkward. <laughs> like there never was a, there never was a ruler in the Game of Thrones show that acted like Patty. So we, and so like, everyone's just like, Matt, Matthew Smith made it, made fun of him right to his face. And what what past show would that have just been able to slide? But maybe that's just what they're showing about Patty. It's just how much he's not a king. I I don't know. Yeah. See, to me, I I don't mind the tone and the fighting so much. It's to me, it's the same complaint I've had for the past couple episodes, where something needs to happen. I can only take people plotting sides. It did happen at the end. It was this was a huge reveal at the end. She she gets to be with Matthew Smith and her husband, who she married, pretended his death, and he gets okay. To I hundred percent did not realize that he had faked his death until I saw a YouTube. Really? Yeah, I I thought he legitimately like because he shaved his head. I was mm-hmm. like, why are they showing this like two brave people <laughs> rowing off in a boat? Like, no, but that's. But that's that's fair. Like part of that's on me. Like I think the show did do oh, pretty good. Honest, but also, I fell asleep sh- Sunday night, and then I read all the reviews, and then when I watched it again Monday, that's how I was able to tell. But now that I'm looking at it in my head, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, but part of that's like part of my original concern of they're making a show for hardcore fans. They're not even like I think they're making it for like even past us, and yeah. so many more people are gonna watch these shows. Versus have read the books. I guarantee you, so many less people have like read this book than have read the Game of Thrones or the Fire of Song of Ice and Fire books. Oh no, you're absolutely right. Now, have you ever read any of his books, the other ones at all? No, I don't care. I... <laughs> but like, what Game of Thrones, what Game of Thrones actually the show did is that I didn't need to read the books. Maybe I needed a recap because there are ten million different characters, which. By the way, another complaint we've talked about before is the show is very insular. They talk a lot about, you know, who will accept Rhaenyra as queen. But, like, I don't know. Can we show the different houses? Are we sure? Like, are we sure they're not going to accept her as queen? Are you sure they're not going to be like, eh, we're going to complain about it behind her back, but it'll be fine. Like, the show is, you just essentially have gotten three houses, the or basically four houses, the Valerian, um, Targaryen, Strong, and Hightower. Yeah. I don't know. There's huge swarth of Westeros that we're just not getting and only getting name drops. I don't know. Can we see what other houses are up to? That was one of the things that made Game of Thrones so fun is that there was so many people that were vying for the throne. Even if you had someone like Renly Baratheon who couldn't have made a legitimate claim, he was still out there fighting. This is just, I can only take what I like about this show so much of when they're doing basically the same thing over and over and over again. Well, you know, I hate to say it in the show, but now I think is when it's going to pick up because now, you know, everybody's on their sides and has who they want in their corner. 
And in this next episode, the kids have jumped up another 10 years, like we've said. And now we're going to have really the fight to the, to the end here, which is going to be curious on how that's going to play out. But, you know. As a, as a side note, I think the actress who plays the new Rhaenyra looks like fucking 40. <laughs> I think well, she looks older than Matt Smith, and it well, bugs the what, crap out of me. What's amazing is that since we're doing this time jump this next episode, she's going to be 40. So it all works out perfectly. Look at that. Are they changing the actresses again? No. Or are they just going to make up her? She's just, no, I mean, maybe they don't have to, considering you said she looks 40. She could just play the role of the 40-year-old now. Well, then can they maybe put some crow's eyes on Matt Smith or something? Crow's eyes on Matt Smith. Him and Kristen Cole look like the same friggin' age. <laughs> Matt Smith. <laughs> yeah. It, I, it, I Actually, I legit had to Google who the actress, I don't can't remember her name. Like, one, I like the old actress who played Renira a little bit more. Yeah. And two, I actually had to Google how old she actually was. Yes. Because I'm like, did they actually cast a 40-year-old for this part? Why does she look so old? And she actually is age-appropriate. She's basically around the same age as Olivia Cook, But she doesn't look that way. No. No, she doesn't. Olivia Cook, she's doing I mean, I think I can see why they brought her in. She's doing a fine job in what she has to work with. Um, You know. I also think it's like Game of Thrones didn't really pick up until Ned Stark's beheading at the very end of the season. That's true. I do wonder if we are looking at this at too much of a granular level. And as time passes, we will look more fondly on this season as we are doing recapping it every episode. Cause I kind of, I kind of feel like I felt that way towards Game of Thrones and could be. I mean, feel like I would feel this way towards. Uh, I'm trying fire. to get what I was trying to get is a live read to see if it does do the switch over, or we end the season and we go, yeah, you know, this is just going to be what it is, you know. But honestly, we only have three more episodes. We have four more episodes left. No, three was this episode. What episode did I said this was seven. Yeah. So we got three more episodes left. It's ten episodes. So, like, is this? a lot of bricklaying for when the actual Dance of Dragons happens. Ooh, I don't know. Because supposedly the eye fight, knife fight, is a big impetus for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you we it's a noble at this point in time, but, I mean, I'm still going to watch it because Game of Thrones is revered so much by me and it's still like i'm still like enjoying it like it's some of it is like more nitpicking more than actual criticism but like i'm not enthralled with it i don't know if the show is going to make my top 10 of the year i mean there's seven episodes out of 10 <laughs> i actually don't think it's it will yeah um, i mean it's it's not one of the best that i've seen either no i mean so i mean Harley Quinn just finished, Atlanta starting up, Rami just dropped, and Reservation Dogs just finished. And so far, all of those shows are so much more entertaining. And Abbott Ele- new season of Abbott Elementary. Like, I could probably create a top 10 list of the year of just shows that got released after June 1st or July 1st. Um, and I. Still don't think even then House of Dragon will make my list. 
uh, well, we got we got a show coming out this week. I know that you're excited for that. We may talk about next week. Um, the new Jake Lacey show drops this week. The one on Peacock. Um, I mean, I honestly don't know if I'll have time to watch it. Legit. Well, I know. I'm, I have. I, I have. Think, I was making a joke. Do you watch Rami? Uh, no, I actually until you made a post, I had never actually heard of it. So I, I absolutely love this show. It's uh, what's it on? It's on Hulu. Okay, I'll watch it. It's made by A24. Who uh, I got that. I'll post it up, and I'm gonna get through. I'm gonna watch the Atlanta. I'm gonna make it to through the Atlanta too to get to all caught up on that too. So I know exactly what I'm talking about when we're talking about that. Did you um, did you watch Reservation Dogs? Uh, I watched the very first episode and I liked what I saw. Oh, bro, you have so much. Stop watching Showtime. Oh, I I know, but John Bernthal, he's so awesome. I can't I can't I can't stop watching American Gigolo. I will say really quickly. Um, I don't want to talk much about this. Just real quick before we wrap up, I did. Uh, I did. I don't know why I put myself through it, but I did watch the uh, Dahmer show. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, you don't you're not going to recommend it to me oh no um but i will say um i do give props to only one person in that whole entire thing and evan peters did a really good job um but that being said it's and, oh, oh not rich and you know also did a really good job was richard jenkins and molly ringwald and the late oh what's her name i can't remember from carlito's way the girl from there she plays but they all not really, though. I know it's not your cup of tea. And honestly, it was 10 episodes long. It only needed to be six um, too long. But that being said, I think we had a good show. What do you think? I think we had an excellent show, Tony. Awesome. Outside I of, I was about to friggin' have a coughing fit and die towards the end there. <laughs> well, I think uh, this is where we bid adieu. Farewell. Thank you, everyone who's listening. If you're enjoying the show, please retweet us on Twitter. Tell a friend. The best thing you can do to grow the show is to get more ears on it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Millennial Socks. You can't follow Tony on Twitter because he's been banned. Oh, no, I am. I'm back. I'm back, oh, folks. I am, to... the sugar, I am the sugar baggy. At the sugar baggy. My name is Tony. And nothing will ever happen to me again. I am so safe because, to be fair, this account was created at the very same time as my last account. So it's all in, in different numbers and different names and different everything. So they're never going to find me again. I mean, famous last words. Just don't call him Tony on Twitter. Yeah, but I don't honestly don't think that was it because you want to be fair. Um, I think I, even on our, our Twitter handle, it said, listen to Tony and Adam. So it, did, it, did, it, didn't, it didn't, it didn't. Yeah, but I can still say that, like, I'm running the Twitter account now. You can find us at the hookup on film. Yeah. Um, we can say whatever we want on here. No one's yeah. You know, it's it's even on there. Now you're running that. And but I, I'm running it, so you can't fucking suspend us. No, and you're doing, and let me tell you something. I like what you're doing so far. You're doing an amazing job. Check it out. Check us out. Thank you so much, my man. All right. So we got a lot of good topics for you. For next week, Tony, what are you talking about? Uh, Ooh, what we're doing here, we got some crazy stuff. Really quick, I got Rob Zombie. I'm going through all of his movies. Um, and they're not all the best. 
And I'm also going to be doing, and I did it really quickly, I'm doing a scary movie per day for the month of Halloween, for the month of October. So we got four days already, counting today. So there's four movies there really quickly reviewed. It's a lot of October fun. Enjoy. Yeah, Tony is very smartly doing his scary movies after he speaks with me. Yes, but don't worry. When we get to the later half of October, we're going to have some fun here. But more fun that I know that you're going to enjoy. Not not, not bad fun, I promise. But Do you talk highly that... of The Devil's Rejects? Oh, honestly, out of all of his movies, the only reason why that movie is probably the most... To- honestly, his movies aren't very tolerable at all. Um, and they get worse. Talk about Rob Zombie. Yeah, and they get worse. Honestly, I really dislike his Halloweens. Um, Do you like but, House of a Thousand Corpses? That one is generally pretty good. The first two movies are generally pretty good. He's just gotten worse. The Munsters is a is a, is a train wreck. And you're talking to someone who knows the old show. But all that's all that's all that's in the uh, all that's coming up next. <laughs> all right, my man. You take all care. Right. Take care. Peace out. Peace out. The Monster Mash. Wow, you talk about a classic right there. Well, what we're going to do right now is we're going to try to break down a movie for each day until Halloween. So we got four days. We got October 1st, 2nd, 3rd, or 4th when this episode drops. So let's go through four horror movies really quick here. Why not? We're going to start off a little bit with a classic. One of my personal favorites, Creepshow from 1982. Directed by George A. Romero and the screenplay by one Stephen King. Ooh, classic, classic, classic. Starring Hal Holbrook, Adrian Barbeau, Leslie Nielsen, Ed Harris, Ted Danson, uh, Carrie Nye, E.G. Marshall, Vivica Linfers. Talk about an amazing movie. Let's just start right there. Um, the movie has consisted of five short stories. So you have a little bit of a prologue. You have Father's Day. You have the lonesome death of Jordy Varel. You have something to tide you over. You have the crate, and you have there creeping up on you. And then you have the epilogue. A really quick Father's Day is a um, really amazing um, little sketch um, about a man who wants his cake for Father's Day. Um, a daughter, unfortunately, is not happy with her father because he's not a nice man and she offs him but he comes back from the grave to want that father's day cake second episode really really good in that first one ed harris has a really really awesome early role in the second one pretty much all stephen king he plays the lonesome death of jody jordy varel he plays jordy varel a comet falls from the sky he touches it and let's just say everything becomes green and 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 everything turns into like a plant second third episode something to tide you over you looking for a little serious leslie nielsen from naked gun this one might just be up your tide technically we have ted danson as harry wentworth amazing amazing um episode we even got a little bit of an uncredited richard gear the fourth the third up this would be the the, the, the fourth episode, The Crate. 
Hal Holbrook and Adrian Barbeau nail this episode as a man who, well, doesn't make his wife happy. So, and he's, she's really, really, really evil and bad. So there's something hiding in a crate to try to get her. They're creeping up on you, starring E.G. Marshall. If you don't like bugs or you're scared of bugs, this one will definitely, definitely get you. Um, classic, all-around, scary movie. I definitely enjoy this one quite a bit. I've watched it uh, quite a lot. Ebert gave it three out of four stars, saying um, they've used some really good comic book um, stuff, some humor and affection, as well as with the appreciation and the macabre. The best thing about Creepshow are its carefully simulated comic book tackiness and the gusto of which good actors assume silly positions. I could definitely go for all of that. Definitely check out Creepshow uh, as our October 1st pick. Um, our October 2nd pick um, is from 2001, um, titled Joyride, directed by John Dahl, written by J.J. Abrams and Clay Tarver. Bruce also by J.J. Abrams, starring Steve Zahn, Paul Walker, and Lily Sobiski. <gasps> Candy Kane, are you there, Candy Kane? Let's just say um, this movie is definitely, definitely, definitely worth, um, well, if nothing more, just to hear Ted Levine from Silence of the Lamb, Buffalo Bill, playing one rusty nail. Let's just say this movie is filled with classic cheese. The movie is pretty much about a f college freshman embarking on a cross-country road trip during summer break to pick up his childhood crush. Ooh, and let's just say they upset the wrong truck driver. Uh, along for the ride is Steve Zahn, classic laughs. Um, all everyone knows him by is Rusty Nail. There is, let's just say, a lot of ridiculousness, a lot of truck driving. Um, I definitely think it's uh, one to... to to definitely see kind of a, a well-constructed B-movie B thriller. Um, all around, everyone I've talked to seems to enjoy this movie, but definitely for October 2nd pick, um, check out, if nothing more, Steve Zahn and the late Paul Walker and Lily Subisky, and of course, as I stated, Ted Levine as Rusty Nail. Ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. Our next film up here for our October 3rd pick is The Strangers from 2008, starring Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman, directed by Brian Bertino. Number one, stay away from the sequel. Number two, this movie is really, 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 really scary. Um, inspired by some real-life events, you could feel that into the movie. Um, the movie is pretty much set as two people who are trying to escape their life for a weekend in the cabin because they're not happy with their life or with each other so what a better way than to escape let me just say the strangers is Tamara home let me just say they're really really scary they wear these masks the plot follows as I stated they stay at a vacation home is directed by three masked criminals who infiltrate the home and really terrorize them so if you like that kind of a movie very very scary uh, the movie's become somewhat of a cult film through the years. Um, had a $9 million budget, took an $82.4 million. It was also written by Brian Bertino. Um, again, really, really, really good movie. Um, Glenn Howerton shows up. Really classic from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Ridiculous role, but he doesn't last too long. But again, 
really, really, really worth picking up if you really want to see something scary and you really, really, really want to see, um, well, this is generally a super scary film. So um, check this one out. This is The Strangers from 2008, and this would uh, fall in our October 3rd pick. And now for our final pick, our final, our final, final, final pick is Silver Bullet, directed by Dan Adias, written by Stephen King, based on Cycle of the Werewolf by Stephen King. So this is another screenplay written by Stephen King, and this movie came out in 1983. This movie stars Corey Haim, Gary Busey, Everett McGill, Terry O'Quinn. It has a really, really, really good movie in the mo in this, but uh, definitely. Um, Definitely what I would like to say is that it's 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 would is held up very classic as as something that uh, through the years that I've watched so many times since I've been a young, young, young kid. But that being said, it's never too late to watch it again. Um, the film is also considered a cult classic. And the film follows the rocky relationship between the film's narrator, Jane, the sister, and her paraplegic younger brother, Marty. Um... Gary Busey plays a alcoholic uncle. Go figure. Really, really classic. Um, the way he comes up with a wheelchair for Marty, played by Corey Haim, in classic 80s fashion, and calls it the Silver Bullet. Also dealing with werewolves in the movie. Well, to kill a werewolf, you need to find a silver bullet. Um, again, excellent. I find this movie to be excellently cheesy. Um, a lot of people dismiss it as low-grade Stephen King fiction, but if you're looking for that good old 80s cheesiness, um, Ebert gave it three out of four stars, admitted that he thought the film was a parody of the novella and King's work in general, but said that he enjoyed the film. So some people, I mean, the werewolf looks cheesy, the movie's a little bit campy, but if you love one Gary Busey, why not check out this movie? Um, this would be our October 4th pick. Um, very, 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 very awesome. So, what I would like to say is, through the month of October, I think it's very, very important that you, well, number one, watch some scary movies. Number two, if you have any specific scary movies that you like, you can always share them with us. Because um, why not? Because we love scary movies, or I can only speak for myself sometimes, I like scary movies. But everyone might come around and watch a scary movie from now and then. And whoever knows who may come back and listen to this. So next week we will cover the days of October that, well, we're missing. So that would be, well, starting with the 5th, the 6th, the 7th, and so on. But till then, I want everybody to keep on continuing on and enjoy this next little segment about Rob Zombie. I see walking in these woods.
welcome to the latest installment of After the Show. Tonight we will be talking about Rob Zombie, musician, director, artist. Very, 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 uh, what I would call, he's a polarizing filmmaker. Um, he gets started on his very first movie in 2003, House of a Thousand Corpses. Directed by Rob Zombie, written by Rob Zombie. Starring Sid Haig, Bill Mosley, Sherry Moon, Karen Black. Um, well, let me just get started by saying this movie is definitely very, very, very interesting. The movie also has Rain Wilson and Walter Goggins showing up in, in some early, early roles. The movie um, takes inspiration from such films as Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes. This is the exact reason why I thought it was um, good to talk about Mr. Zombie. Plus, he's got a brand new movie coming out. Came out. Is it coming out? Came out this past Friday on Netflix, I believe. The Munsters. And I say I believe, but I've watched it on Netflix. It is definitely on Netflix. Well, let's get started here. Because we're going to have to go through some stuff pretty quickly here. I hope some people aren't as disappointed. We won't be spending 40 minutes on each of these movies. But you know what? We're still going to go through them. Let's go ahead and talk about House of a Thousand Corpses to start. It's a good, It's for what it is, it's a good movie. Um, it was released, like I stated earlier, in 2003. It kind of right off the bat, you know what zombie, what zombie's going to be about, the kind of filmmaker he is. He doesn't really pull any punches. Um, he isn't what I would call a clean filmmaker, and by that, what I mean is like there are some rough cuts, there's some scenes that maybe aren't spliced together the best. But I think that's kind of what he's going for. Being a huge fan of bands like the Ramones, I think he's going for more of like a, a punk type of a filmmaking style. Um, that being said, I think this movie was a great start. Um, all the actors that I mentioned in the movie play really, 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 really good roles. Um, I think what it is is that a lot of people who are fans of Rob Zombie, I think they, they sat and they, um, they really started to tune in to what this movie was. This movie is basically about an empty fuel tank and a flat tire lead two couples down a terror-riddled road to the House of a Thousand Corpses. Wow, House of a Thousand Corpses as core, some people say, is a story of a family, a cast of twisted individuals who with each slash of a throat or stab through the chest add bodies to their sick human menagerie. Wow, that's, um, well, that's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good description there. Um, uh, there's a little bit more that I'd like to go into. I'd like to talk about Sid Haig's performance as Captain Spaulding. Um, wow. I think this is a, an amazing character that he's brought to life. Um, he, he's pretty much like a clown, I guess. He's got a beard. I had personally never really had seen him on the scene until he showed up in this movie. Um, but that being said... It's a character, and it's definitely a character. If you like horror movies, worth checking out because he is, quote-unquote, I would call very, very hilarious in these movies. You know, not in the, quote-unquote, natural, hilarious way, 
But in the overall, for what they're pulling off in these movies, I think, you know, definitely worth the, um, the price of admission. But, uh, like I said, worth watching. You know, I'm not going to go through the whole plot here. But what I pretty much described, if you're a horror fan, I think it's definitely a must to check out at least once. Um, the ending is a little bit here nor there. But that being said, um, I really, 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 they go ahead and the sequel, um, The Devil's Rejects, which... By just saying it's a it's a it's a that one to me I think was a huge upgrade from House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, I remember specifically seeing this one in the theater. Actually went downtown in Chicago um, at the time to see this one, and um, the music, everything about it I felt like was definitely right on pace for what uh, what Rob was trying to go for. Definitely definitely worth checking out um the film is centered on the run of three members of the psychopathic family that we've real we've learned and realized how psychopathic they are um in the past movie house of a thousand corpses um this movie is more of what i would call a road movie um i also think that uh again sid Haig, bill mosley his wife who's Pretty much appears in every one of his movies. Sherry Moon Zombie. Um, they all do a really good job. William Forsythe, a great actor, has appeared in lots of classic movies like Raising Arizona. He's really great in. Um, he's a really, really good character actor. But this being said, this movie is good. Um, I think it's probably, if I was to go through all of his movies, I'm going to get off right off the bat here and say it's probably my favorite. Um, I may be, I may, people may not agree with me here, but I believe that, uh, after this movie, it kind of a little bit goes downhill, but a little bit more into this movie. So it's a road movie. Um, again, like I said, and, and the way it's shot is it's a little bit more put together. Um, after a raid on the rural home of that family at the end of the last movie, two of the members managed to escape, heading to a remote desert motel. They reunite with Captain Spaulding, that amazing character played by Sid Haig that I talked about, who is equally demented and intent on maintaining their spree. While the trio continue to torment and kill kill various victims, the vengeful William Forsythe, who plays the sheriff, slowly closes in on him. I like this movie because it's a little bit more out in the open. It's not as much of a scary movie as it is as the first one was. This one is more of like a throwback to those old 1970s road films. Um, But that being said, I think this one definitely, what he was going for, he pulled it off. I really like the ending a lot. Um, I really like the music quite a bit in this movie. I think the... um, I think that's what he does good. Like things like Midnight Rider by Allman Brothers Band. Um, Classic. Um, and he doesn't really do a lot on his own soundtracks. A little bit here, a little bit there. But you would think that he would go and be loaded. I mean, he's got Three Dog Night on his soundtrack. You know, definitely, definitely worth 
checking out. Now after this comes a little bit of a, what I would call a polarizing movie. Not one of what I would call my personal favorites, but I know a lot of people enjoyed it. And it was a little bit of a remake. Um, he likes to remake because he's, just like I said, he's just came out with a brand new one. The Halloween movies. Um, Halloween and Halloween 2. Well, let me just put it to you this way. Um, this Halloween remake is a lot different than those original ones. It's a lot different than the brand new ones that they're releasing and will be releasing soon, which we will have an, a great interview. Interview? I wish we had an interview with Michael Myers. That would go pretty well. Now we're going to have a great review of the new movie that will be coming out in the middle of the month. Halloween ends. But these two Halloween movies directed by Rob Zombie? Not my favorite. Um, these movies um, star Malcolm McDowell, Scout, Scout Taylor Compton, Sherry Moon Zombie, his wife, Brad Dorif, who does do a great job in these movies, Danielle Harris, who appeared in the original Halloween 4 and Halloween 5, and I believe she might be even in Halloween 6. I could be wrong with that. I do know Paul Rudd's in that movie. Really ridiculous piece of work. We may speak about at a later date. But uh, this movie is what I would call a little bit more real than those other movies. Those other movies give a little bit more of that classic, ooh, what I would say classic feel to the old olden days of classic horror movies. This movie, it's as real as could be. Um, you feel it a lot more. Um, I remember right when it came out, a lot of people were loved it. and Some people hated it. Um, of a kind of a polarizing film. Um, again, Rob Zombie wrote the screenplay. He directed it. It had a budget of $15 million, which isn't a lot. And it took in $80 million. Um, as stated before, I definitely think, again, worth checking out. Yes. Um, I really believe that the, this film was made because the series was running out of steam. And in anything when running out of steam, you need to come up with a fresh start. And regardless if you like it or don't like it, Halloween, at least the first one Rob Zombie did, was very, 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 at least worth checking out. After this, something I'm going to just talk about quickly, which honestly, this might be his little best piece. Um, it was something stuffed in between the Grindhouse movies. When you saw the movie in the theater, Planet Terror and Death Proof, there were some little trailers in the middle. Um... This little trailer that he made, Werewolf Woman of the SS, really, 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 really classic little piece. Nicolas Cage is in the little, um, is in the trailer. Udo Kier is in the trailer. It's literally like one minute, and it's like a fake trailer made for a movie um, that never really got made. Um, definitely worth checking out. It's funny because uh, they did another trailer for that machete, and that got made. But this one never got made. Maybe one day he'll make it. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But that being said, we then go on to Halloween 2. The sequel to that first one. <sighs> was not as successful. And to me, it was a huge step back. Um, was not a fan of this one. So I'm not going to give it much time. Um, again, directed by Rob Zombie. Written by Rob Zombie. Um... But again, what it is, is it's a little bit capitalizing on the events from the first movie. 
Another actor, which I totally skipped, who totally carries both of these, Halloween and Halloween 2, is Malcolm McDowell. Yes, the Clockwork Orange Malcolm McDowell. Um, definitely, if you're a fan of horror movies, worth checking out for this, for this or this alone. Um, Zombie wanted the sequel to be even more realistic and violent than its last movie. That's what he wanted, it to be violent. And when the violence on the screen, he wanted it to be real. Where those old movies gave it a little bit more of a back to the Tarkin of Psycho days where it wasn't, didn't show you everything. You know, it depends on what you what you uh, enjoy. There was going to be a third one, Halloween 3D, but was canceled because uh, he declined to return to the film series. Um, again, take it, leave it. You could watch that one. But it, again, Rob Zombie, his film style at this point, I think is becoming even more, he's hammering home what he wants to do. Next up is... The Haunted World of El Superbisto, a cartoon. It's good. It is what it is. It's a nice little cartoon that he put together. He directed it. He wrote it. Um, again, Sherry Moon Zombie. What's really awesome is Paul Giamatti's in this one. Um, Paul Giamatti, an amazing, amazing actor, is in this movie. Rosario Dawson, Brian Posehn, um, Dee Wallace. Classic D. Walsh, Jeffrey Lewis. Um, Paul Giamatti plays Satan. You know, I mean, Tom Papa. He plays El Superbisto. I remember going to a, a haunted house that Rob Zombie put together at the Odeum. And uh, really, really cool artwork for this one. And really, 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 well, worth, worth checking out if you like cartoons and you like stuff of that nature. All right, here, we're going to go through a murderous row here really quick. The Lords of Salem, 31, and 3 from Hell. Let's start with Lords of Salem really quick. Lords of Salem, again, directed and written by Rob Zombie, starring Sherry Moon Zombie. Um, Dee Wallace is also in this, Meg Foster. It now, by this point, his budget are down to $1.5 million, and it only took in $1.5 million. Um, he's... He's, 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 he's lowering his budget, less people are kind of seeing some of his movies. Um, this movie is not, not bad. We're checking out definitely for Sherry Moon Zombie's performance. Um, John Five, great guitar player, does the music. Um, but that being said, you know, what it is, is it's just the, a focus on a troubled female disc jockey in Salem which is played by Sherry Moon Zombie, whose life becomes entangled with a coven of ancient Satan-worshipping women. And this is all done to a really matter-of-factly by, by Rob Zombie. His next movie, 31, this is a period piece set in 1976. The film is about five carnies who are kidnapped by a gang of clowns called the Heads. The Carnies are forced to play a survival game called 31, where they are chased by the clowns through a maze of rooms over over 12 hours. Oh, the penalty of being captured, torture, and murder while bets are placed on their progress. The film was crowdfunded by this point. Um, budget was $1.5 and only took in 850000 Again, movie stars Cherry Moon Zombie, Meg Foster. Ooh, Malcolm McDowell made a return. Um, we're checking out, I don't know, 
By this point, Rob's getting a little bit, uh, I don't know. I'm shocked by his film choices. No, it's a bad movie. It's a it's a, a typical horror film. If you like horror films, check it out. Um, if you know, this is definitely one that if you're looking at all of his movies, I would skip to be to be the end. And now we come to our main focus of the of the of the whole reason of putting this together is the recent release of the two 2022 film The Monsters. I'm a huge Monsters fan from the original TV series. I mean, um, it it was a sitcom, the original TV series, really quick. I'll I'll, I'll give give you the um, 64 to 66 it was on television. Uh, My dad watched quite a lot of it. It had two seasons, 70 episodes in two seasons. Man, I wish they'd bring these kind of episodes back for, uh, for seasons. Back in the day, they, they were really pumping out these episodes. But again, it was about an Amer- the show was about an American family um, who longs for the good old days in Transylvania. It has a, a, a Dracula, a Frankenstein, a vampire wife. I mean, it's just got all the great characters. Um, a werewolfish son named Eddie. Um, very, very cool. It was kind of like Leave it to Beaver, but with like this huge Hollywood, not Hollywood, um, horror Hollywood, well actually kind of Hollywood, Hollywood horror spin. So when Rob comes along here, he's going to make this movie. And of course he's going to, well, get only the people he can. Cherry Moon Zombie, um, Jeff Daniel Phillips, who by this point has been, um, he's been in some quite a few movies. He was in Halloween 2, he was in Lords of Salem, he was in 31. Definitely, definitely um, a guy he can count on for his movies. But that being said, I don't know about this movie. I'm not really sure about it. Um, It's got some sketches. It's got some Skype gags. Um, There's a lot of meandering, personally. Um, The... the the, the pieces of sets, I don't know if I'm really, really a fan. Um, the coloring of it, um, the story, the structure of the story, oh, I don't know about all that. Um, it's really definitely, definitely something was a little bit of a disappointment because you're thinking with all these movies that he's been released and such a, such a classic film product that uh, even at the worst, it would just be really kind of enjoyable. You could tell he was like, what he reminds me of is like an 8th grader who got to make a favorite film of his favorite TV show. Um, you know, you expect to see a television set in the background, you know, um, and this movie is no different because it's pretty much taking it right off of there, but not even in a better f- version of the 66th show, um, 64 show, the way it was released it doesn't make for much of a movie. Let's just put it to you that way. <clears throat> it's hard to market for a movie like this, too. With the lack of, I think, and personally, who's in the movie. The lack of maybe people even knowing what this product is. It's not the Adams Family, and even that movie didn't really have the huge success I think it was hoping for. But that being said, if you're a fan of the show, and you're looking for something different or weird... And you got Netflix. It's free. Put it on. Check it out. 
It'll get those scary Halloween vibes going. I want to thank my co-host, as always, um, Adam at Millennial Socks for having such a great show, always going deep on film and television and other entertainment-like topics. We will see you again next week. Please check us out here um, on our podcast. You can check us out on our Twitter account, at The Hookup on Film. And you can go ahead and keep on watching movies and keep on commenting. And if you have any suggestions, we always love suggestions. And as always, I want everyone to have a great week. Thank you so much for letting us be your hookup on film. Wow.